Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake.
for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and this podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin, whom is celebrating his 75th anniversary this year, along with a host of other DC Comics characters. Now, I have two books in front of me, and I want to read off all of the DC Comics characters that are celebrating 75 years. Now, the two books I have are a DC Comics, A Visual History, the updated edition. This is a 2014 edition, and I also have uh, the Batman, A Visual History, the updated version. It's also 2014. These both came out. Uh, out at the same time. Uh, looking at the DC Comics visual history first, um, the two that they uh, list in here right off the bat, there's a whole host of uh, DC Comics characters that got their start in the 1940s. Um, uh, Wonder Woman, Robin, Aquaman, and uh, debut of villains, a uh, debut of villains like the Joker and Lex Luthor and Two Face. Uh, in the 1940s also uh, made room for pioneering incarnations of the Green Lantern and the Flash. So I did mention a couple in there uh, from the DC uh, Comics visual history. Let me set these books are huge, so uh, bear with me for a second as I set this down. Uh, looking at the Batman entry into the 1940s, uh, these are really cool books. Uh, I got both of these half-priced. Uh, they're about $50, and I got both of them uh, for $25 apiece. So you can uh, find them out there uh, pretty cheaply if you uh, look for them. Uh, says, uh, but Robin wasn't the only character to debut in the 1940s. Uh, the most impressive decade saw the creation of the Joker, Catwoman, Clayface, Scarecrow, the Penguin, Two-Face, and the, Rid and the Riddler, and Hugo Strange, among dozens of other memorable villains. That is quite a uh, large um, array of... <laughs> of characters that DC Comics will hopefully be celebrating. I don't think we're going to see anything as uh, invasive as they did for Superman and Batman. Um, I would like to think they're going to do something for Robin this year. I know there's already some 75 uh, anniversary Flash variant comics going to be coming out. I would assume they'll do something uh, with each of those characters uh, as the month's of the year that they were in uh, happens. Robbins is in April, but the April solicitations are out, so it doesn't look like they're going to do a Robin variant cover. Uh, I was kind of hoping that they would in the month of April, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to do something uh, later on down the year this year. We have uh, quite a long year. And uh, with that being said, it's a whole host of other things for people that are action figure collectors like myself or statue collectors that I think this year is going to be a really, really phenomenal year for DC collectibles fans out there. Uh, something else I'm uh, noting in the book here also, uh, the 1940s was, uh, excuse me, the 1940s also saw the Cape uh, Crusaders introduction of the Batcave, the first appearance of Batman's faithful, faithful butler, <laughs> faithful, faithful, I can't read today, faithful butler Alfred. So even Alfred Pennyworth is celebrating 75 years. I think Alfred is probably the closest one that looks like he could be 75 years, depending on the way he's drawn. So the 1940s were quite a year for DC Comics. Uh, and, and just to think about it that way, that's 75 years of mainstay characters that have lasted through the test of time. Yes, uh, something like the Alan Scott uh, Green Lantern got uh, tweaked a little bit later on and became the Hal Jordan Green Lantern. So yes, things changed a little bit, but you know, even Alan Scott, if you are reading the 
uh, Earth 2 New 52 storyline. Alan Scott is still there, so he is celebrating uh, 75 years. Um, I've been saying it for a little while on the podcast that I've been excited to have some guests come on to the podcast. Uh, Terrence is going to be remaking an appearance again here rather uh, shortly. I have to email him and get uh, some uh, a detail worked out for his next episode that he's going to be coming back. I have a special co-host today that I've been extremely excited about getting on the show. And plus, I have Tom Paneris coming up uh, pretty quickly here. I also, too, have to wait to hear back from him uh, as we try and pin down a date that's going to work for him. So uh, the nice thing about this podcast is I don't necessarily have to stay current. Like, okay, you've got to be on next week. You know, it's it'll the episode will come out when it's available for my uh, guests to be on the show. And like I said, I do have a guest for this episode. For the past three years on YouTube, uh, I have been reviewing a lot of my uh, Robin and Batman action figures. And uh, you may have seen me on YouTube through Rob's Rogues, and I post stuff on the Batman universe from time to time of new uh, Batman action figures that are coming out. And my... uh, co-host that you'll hear today also does the same and he has a review channel and I'll let him uh, plug that. I don't want to quite give away his name (laughs) just yet Uh, but he's been doing it for a couple years on YouTube and just has one of the most mind-blowing Superman collections that you will ever see. Uh, Once he tells you what his uh, YouTube channel is uh, do yourself a favor. Start scrolling. Just start at video one and start going through and you will see some amazing statues and action figures that he's collected and uh, the subscribe that he has is also mind blowing. Uh, he just has such a well done channel that uh, I, I try and steal little things here or there just on how he does his channel. Just looks so remarkable. But his Superman collection uh, video is absolutely mind blowing. I believe I've said that twice, but uh, you would just be amazed at the collection that this guy has. And uh, the cool thing about uh, technology is that I'm having a conversation with somebody that is hundreds and thousands of miles across the pond over in good old Scotland, and I consider this gentleman a very, very good friend of mine, and this is somebody that I've never met other than seeing them through Skype or Google Hangouts that we do a show on my YouTube channel called The Rogues Show, where the five of us get together. Uh, You've already heard two of them already, Olivia and Anthony, uh, have made an appearance on Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, and that was a few episodes back when we were talking about Robin's very first appearance uh, in... In, uh, Gotham City. And uh, these five uh, individuals, and I have one more yet to get on the show, but we've become fast friends and we talk daily through our uh, Facebook uh, chat log that we have. And it's really cool to get to know these people as action figure collectors and uh, superhero geeks that we are. But over the course of these last couple years, uh, you start to get to know each other as human beings and friendships are really starting to emerge out of this and is something that I am eternally grateful for to know these five people. I've recently met uh, Anthony this past summer that we got a chance to hang out. He came to visit Ohio. He had a couple friends he wanted to see and said, hey, I'm going to be in the Columbus area. I looked at my wife. I said, we're going. I want to hang out with Anthony. Um, I'll be uh, attending his wedding soon. Uh, It's just really cool that here are people that are of like mind and uh, I consider them really good friends. And Stu is uh, 
bar none, one of the nicest and kindest people I've ever met in my whole entire life. I, I am proud to say, hey, I, I'm a friend of this guy. Um, he's just one of the coolest individuals that I've met. You watch his YouTube channel. He has a way of speaking to you that you instantly feel connected to what he's saying, and you almost feel like you know the guy. And uh, it's so cool any chance I get uh, to talk to him. And uh, I knew when I got to this particular two issues that uh, he had to be the guy that had to come on. Who better else to talk Superman than him? Um, I am honored uh, to call this uh, gentleman uh, my friend. And these five individuals have been put on my bucket list of people that I want to meet before I go to my uh, robin's nest in the sky or whatever, as it were. So please give a warm welcome uh, to my very good friend. And once you hear him start talking, you're going to want to hear me talk less and less. Uh, that beautiful Scottish accent uh, just has a way of uh, captivating you. Uh, please give a warm welcome for Stu Murray. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. What a great introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Well, cool. Um, I, like I had said, this was uh, something that uh, I knew I wanted to do uh, getting to uh, this part of the podcast. And... Um, uh, at least a little history from uh, my end. In uh, 92, uh, we, we've seen two miniseries with uh, Tim Drake uh, almost kind of getting his own uh, fully-blown uh, comic book series. And this was a way for DC to kind of test the popularity of uh, Tim Drake, uh, Robin. And I think I said, I'm not sure if it was the Christmas episode or probably the Joker's uh, Wild episode, that at the end of that year in 91, the uh, Robin 2 Joker's Wild story held the number one place, and I believe number five and like number eight or something, in the top 100 of comics published uh, in that year. Uh, being number one, uh, well, of course, was Robin. Then you had the X-Men titles and Marvel, and then five was Robin. So it wasn't until... Uh, in, in that line that the next book that uh, DC had in there was a Superman comic. I think that was like number 70. Yeah. So that that showed the, um, I would say the likability or the not the importance, but the uh, fan reaction to the Robin character was really good. Um, so this was a move that DC did. Normally what would happen, uh, like in the Green Lantern title, uh, when you would have a new character in the DC universe, they would bring Superman over into your book to kind of give like the seal of approval, like, hey, you're doing a good job fighting the good fight. Well, Tim didn't have his own book at that time, and rather than bring uh, uh, Superman into Detective Comics, DC was kind of like, you know what? Uh, the popularity of Tim Drake is really good. I think that we can throw him into two uh, Superman comics and maybe bring on some potential other readers. And that's kind of what happened to me. This was the first two Superman comics I picked up, um, aside from one I picked up in the grocery store when I was a kid. But uh, being in high school, uh, seeing Tim Drake on the front of uh, these two books uh, instantly made me grab them. And I kind of got uh, hooked into uh, reading the Superman comics um, at that point. So I uh, thought it was a kind of a cool move. And uh, I have not read these books in uh, 20 years, so my, my recollection of like, oh, these are really cool. This is uh, Robin and Superman going out on their first adventure together. Um, it's not quite what I remembered <laughs> about it. It's a, uh, a different story, so uh, 
uh, your first initial reaction, Stu? What did you think when you uh, read this? Yeah, I must admit, it's a very interesting storyline. Um, I, I must admit, being a massive Superman fan, there are huge gaps in my comic knowledge. Um, I used to read when I was younger, then I kind of, not that I fell out of love with it, but I just had massive, um, you know, massive gaps where I was, you know, hanging out with high school buddies and stuff and forgetting all about it. So this is the first time I've ever read this issue. Um, and it was interesting. I didn't expect that. I don't want to spoil what it's about, certainly, but... Um, it was it was interesting. The artwork was great. Obviously, I know we'll go into that in more detail. Um, but yeah, there was some really interesting things done in it as well, which I hadn't seen done before as well. So um, definitely worth a read. I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, at this point, let's just get the show under the way. Thanks for tuning in to episode 22 of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, along with his good buddy Superman. And welcome to the show. <laughs> back. Uh, today we'll be taking a look at uh, Superman, The Man of Steel, issue number 14, and Superman, uh, and Robin is what it says on the title on both of these, but uh, Superman, uh, issue number 70. The Night of the Bat storyline starts in Superman, The Man of Steel, number 14. Cover date, August 1992. On sale date, June 16th, 1992. The cover price was $1.25. The page count is $32. is Mike Carlin. Cover pencils by John Bogdava, I love these names, and inker Dennis Jank. Writer Lewis Simmons Jones, penciler John Bogdava, inker Dennis Jank, letter Bill O'Kay, and colorist Glenn Whitmore. This information is brought to us by Mike's Amazing World. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. Tim Drake, Robin created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin costume created by Neil Adams and Norm Breifogel. The story, Night Moves. A figure swings through the city sky, but it's not the city the figure normally patrols in. It's Robin the Boy Wonder, and the city that he is going from rooftop to rooftop is Metropolis. 
There are three more people that have died mysteriously, and it seems to be a vampire connection of all things. The trail has led him here, to Metropolis. Robin hopes he is strong enough to be able to deal with what is coming. Across the country in Baltimore, we see Superman arriving just in time to save a passenger train from colliding with a group of cars that have crashed in the intersection. Superman is in one city, and Robin is in his. In Lucy Lane's house, Jimmy Olsen's girlfriend, he is there telling Lucy about his new photo assignment that he has with a new rock star in Metropolis for a weekend. But Lucy is fixated on watching TV of an old Lon Chaney vampire film, Dracula. Lucy says that they have the image of Dracula all wrong. He's not like that at all. A voice calls out to Lucy from the window. It's an image of Dracula. Jimmy is surprised by this, but the vampire ends up putting Jimmy into a trance and Jimmy passes out on the floor. Lucy opens the window to climb out to meet her midnight vampire romance. As Lucy climbs out the window, she accidentally knocks over a unicorn statue and it lands on Jimmy's head. This awakens Jimmy. He stands up and throws a camera at the apparition that is pulling Lucy out the window, but not before the vampire can bite Lucy in the neck. The camera goes off in a blinding flash to show a vampire. He drops Lucy and Jimmy catches her just before she falls out of the window. Jimmy says, this can't be real. There's no such thing as vampires. Are there? The next day at the Daily Planet, Lois Lane is going over another staked corpse in the funeral home. This is odd, right? Jimmy tells Lois that he saw Dracula slash a vampire outside Lucy's window. Lois tells Jimmy that Lois's mom said you gave Lucy quite a scare last night. Dr. Ruthven said that Lucy's medical condition might cause the sleepwalking. Jimmy pulls out a photo of Lucy being held in midair by nothing. Jimmy says, See, you can't take pictures of vampires. Lois passes at the photo and says the photo is cheap photography and cheap Photoshop. Nobody believes Jimmy. Robin figures out the name of the doctor or the apparition that he is following is an anagram. The name of the doctor he is looking for doesn't exist, but a new one has popped up in Metropolis, Dr. Ruthven. How clever. Robin decides to pay a visit outside Lucy Lane's bedroom since Dr. Ruthven is now the doctor for her. This can't be a coincidence. Inside the room, Lois Lane is there with her mother and Jimmy Olsen. They're inside trying to take care of Lucy. Jimmy's even going as far as to put garlic in the room to ward off vampires. Robin takes off to Metropolis Memorial. What better place for a vampire to visit than a hospital? The perfect place for a doctor vampire. While in the Maryland area, Superman is making his way back to Metropolis. He stops two men dumping toxic chemicals into the river water. Just another day on the job for Superman. Jimmy Olsen has an idea. He's going to head to Memorial Hospital. Jimmy is dressed up for the occasion, calling himself Jimmy Olsen, the fearless vampire hunter. He's got holy water, garlic, steaks, and a wooden cross. Ready for any type of vampire attack that he might encounter. While on a rooftop outside of the hospital, Jimmy Olsen turns around to see a mysterious figure behind him. He grabs a stake out of his backpack, but is delivered with a swift kick to the face, knocking Jimmy to the ground. It's none other than Robin, the boy wonder. Jimmy thought it might have been a vampire, and Robin thought it might have been somebody lurking around the hospital. The two exchange a couple of quick blows, but soon quickly begin to talk and realize that they're both looking at the same thing, Dr. Ruthven. Dr. Ruthven, he's the vampire they both have been tracking down. The Dr. Vampire, as it were, Jimmy tells Robin that it's Lucy Lane's doctor. Robin says, what do we do now? 
wait for him to leave and track him back to his coffin, the two realize there is no better time than now, and the two leap to the ground. Dr. Ruthven is getting ready to walk into the hospital's front doors. They need to stop him now before he is able to do more harm. Superman is now 400 miles from Metropolis, but stopped to save some miners from a mine collapse. The trip back to Metropolis is taking longer than he expected. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, Robin and Jimmy confront Dr. Ruthven. The two of them question him about Lucy Lane, and then the doctor turns into his vampire form and begins to attack Robin and Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy and Robin start to use all of Jimmy's vampire battle gear, the wooden cross, the holy water, but nothing seems to work. Robin reaches behind Jimmy's backpack and pulls out one of the wooden stakes and starts after Dr. Ruthven. The doctor is too much for the two of them to handle. Jimmy told Robin earlier about his wristwatch that communicates to Superman. Robin tells Jimmy now might be a good time to activate his signal watch. It's now in the early morning in Metropolis, and Superman finally enters his apartment building. He quickly changes into his secret identity of Clark Kent and grabs his mail and heads to his elevator and sees one of his neighbors, Andrea, and escorts her into the elevator, and the two begin to have a small conversation. Andrea seems to be upset, and Clark notices some bruising around her eyes. He thinks he should say something, but at that moment, Clark can hear Jimmy Olsen's wristwatch signal. It's Jimmy. He's in trouble. Across town, Jimmy Olsen and Robin are no match for Dr. Ruthven. He pulls off his face mask, now showing his form as the techno-vampire in the flesh, and takes Jimmy Olsen's wristwatch and crushes it, telling Jimmy, no one's going to save you now. Robin then grabs a broken plank from the ground and tries to stab the techno-vampire, but the techno-vampire grabs Jimmy and blocks himself, and Robin ends up stabbing Jimmy Olsen right in the back of the shoulder. Just then, a rush of wind is felt, and a punch is landed in the face of the techno-vampire by none other than Superman. Superman quickly grabs Robin and Jimmy and takes them to the top of a tall building for their safety. Just as Superman places Robin and Jimmy on top of the building, the techno-vampire flies up behind Superman and grabs him by the cape and begins to drag him off the top of the roof. The techno-vampire says, Turn to me and look at my face. Look in my eyes. What a tasty morsel you will be. And opens his mouth. His teeth are ready to bite Superman. Superman quickly grabs the techno-vampire by the throat and starts to fly closer towards the morning sun. It's almost dawn, and the techno-vampire slowly begins to burn in the morning metropolis sunrise. Within seconds, the techno-vampire has vanished in Superman's hands. Superman rushes back to Robin and Jimmy. Robin has already started to bandage up Jimmy, and he and Superman take Jimmy to the hospital. As they are taking Jimmy to the hospital, they can hear a voice from the techno-vampire. You look surprised. You actually thought the sunlight would destroy a modern vampire. You will never find me, Superman. I can become anyone, and I will find you. Oh yes, all those you hold dear, one by one, they will die. Or worse yet, they will become the undead. But you, my greatest treat, my finest treat, you will be the first to fall next. Continued in Superman number 70. Night of the Bat storyline continues in Superman number 70. Cover date is August 1992. On sale date is June 23, 1992. Cover price is $1.25. The page count is 32. Editor Mike Carlin. Cover credits Dan Jurgens and inker Brett Breeding. Writer and penciler is Dan Jurgens. Inker is Brett Breeding. Letters John Costanza. I haven't, haven't been able to say that in a while. <laughs> Colorist Glenn Whitmore. This information is brought to us by Mike's Amazing World. 
Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. Tim Drake, Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin costume created by Neil Adams and Norm Breifogel. The story, Raising the Stakes. Robin is swinging through the Metropolis city streets on his way back to Metropolis General Hospital. Next to him is Superman, flying right beside him. Robin begins to tell Superman about the different ways to kill vampires. Superman points out, don't you consider some of these uh, solutions to be a little extreme? We're talking about people here. Robin quickly points out, these are X people. They are the undead. So anything we do to them is moot. Superman says, "Eh, maybe not. There must be a better way to deal with it than drive a stake through somebody's heart. Robin tells Superman, no offense, but you can't always play things soft. I mean, look what Dracula did to Jimmy. He's really lucky to be alive. Robin tells Superman, one thing Batman always taught me was that extreme problems require extreme solutions. Superman looks at Robin and says that Batman taught you a number of things. He also compliments Robin on the way he handles the bat rope. He's holding it like a seasoned pro, as if he's been doing it for years. Robin takes great pride in Superman's compliment. Robin tells Superman, it's kind of nice working with somebody that isn't so intense all the time. Moments later, Superman and Robin enter Jimmy Olsen's hospital room through the window. The doctor tells Superman and Robin that Jimmy needs to rest and was lucky that the attack wasn't much worse. Superman turns to leave after hearing that Jimmy's okay. Jimmy pleads with Superman and says he's got to look after his girlfriend, Lucy. You've got to help her, Superman. She's already been bitten once. Once more and she'll become a vampire. Superman tells Jimmy that Robin has already informed him of the situation, and Superman will fly over to Lucy's place and keep an eye on her, and he'll see what he can do. Superman then flies out the window to Lucy's house. Superman thinks to himself, if Robin's right and these people are already dead, what can he do to save them? He's not a magician or a sorcerer. Despite all these powers, I may not be able to help my own future sister-in-law. In the hospital room, Jimmy hops out of bed and says, There's no way he's sitting here waiting for Lucy to get attacked again. Are you with me, Robin? Robin says, Try and stop me. I say we track down this bloodsucker Dr. Ruthven and put an end to his reign of terror. Meanwhile, in a hellish location, the vampire, known as Blaze, is being talked to by her servant and he tells Blaze that her brother, the techno-vampire, has recently taken a number of humans from a place called Metropolis. Blaze says that shrine of goodness yet again. There can only be one explanation. It's him. How dare he interfere with me? On the other side of Metropolis, the techno-vampire has once again entered Lucy Lane's apartment. He is telling Lucy to submit to make this final, everlasting step into the shadows. Lucy offers herself to the techno-vampire, tilts her head back to leave her neck exposed and the techno vampire takes one last bite meanwhile Robin and Jimmy Olsen have hacked into a payphone and tapped into Lucy Lane's security system they can tell that the window has been opened and the security alarm has been triggered Robin and Jimmy need to move fast seconds later Superman is inside Lucy's apartment window when he lands on the floor he looks down to see a pool of blood he scans it and sees that it's Lucy Lane's blood Superman is too late She's already been bit for the second time. In the cemetery, the techno-vampire has Lucy and a horde of other infected people from Metropolis under his command and begins to rally his troops to overtake Metropolis. As Robin and Jimmy race to Lucy Lane's apartment building, Jimmy Olsen quickly takes the car and turns it in the opposite direction, heading towards Metropolis Cemetery. Robin asks Jimmy where are they going. Jimmy says he saw a strange mist emanating from the cemetery. It's the same strange mist 
that was in Lucy's apartment when the techno-vampire was first there and then disappeared. That must be where he's taking Lucy. Jimmy says we could sure use Superman, but there's no way to call him now that the signal watch has been broken. Robin looks at Jimmy and says, I have a plan. You're not going to like it, though. Do you trust me? Jimmy says, I'll do anything if we can get Superman in on the action. Seconds later, Jimmy Olsen's car is flying off an embankment and headed down towards a cemetery. Jimmy and Robin eject themselves from the moving car as it crashes into a tree with a loud explosion. This gives Robin and Jimmy a chance to hopefully surprise the techno-vampire, but as they land on the ground, the techno-vampire managed to grab both Jimmy and Robin. The techno-vampire tells them, Fools, I'll snap your spine and drink your blood as you twitch to death. Jimmy turns to Robin and says, See, I told you your idea wouldn't work. Behind them, a familiar voice is now heard. Actually, I'd say it worked perfectly. Superman has arrived, plucking both Jimmy and Robin from the techno-vampire's clutches. As Superman does, the hordes of the techno-vampire's army begin to attack Superman. One of them grabs Jimmy from Superman's arms. It's Lucy Lane. Her fangs are exposed, and she's about to bite Jimmy. It pains him to do this, but he kicks Lucy Lane to the ground. Robin then jumps from Superman's arms and drops down on a couple of other of the undead that are going after Jimmy, leaving Superman to fight the techno-vampire alone. The techno-vampire is much too strong for Superman. There is magic running through the techno-vampire, and Superman is useless against it. The techno-vampire grabs Superman's head, leaving his neck exposed, and then tells Lucy to drink my pet. Gladly, Master, Lucy says. Superman is struggling and thinks she can do it now. She's been empowered by Dr. Ruthven's magic. Her fangs can easily pierce my skin. No, Superman says. Lucy, Lucy, it's not you. Resist him. Resist his will. Robin sees what's going on and heads towards Superman. He grabs a wooden stake from his boot that he saved from Jimmy Olsen's knapsack and lunges at Lucy to drive the stake into her heart. At the last moment, Jimmy knocks Robin to the ground, screaming, No, I won't let you do that to Lucy. As Robin and Jimmy both fall, Robin says, Are you nuts? Can't you see that she's already dead? Robin drops a stake and the two men fall to the ground. Lucy turns her attention back to Superman. She opens her mouth and gets ready to bite into Superman's neck. Just then, a blinding flash of white light lights up the cemetery sky, so blinding that no one can see anything except for Superman. It's blazed to thwart her brother. The blinding light begins to reverse the infected would-be vampire citizens of Metropolis to normal, including Lucy Lane, whose fangs begin to disappear. She is normal once again. It's at this moment that the techno-vampire realizes what's going on and tries to fly away from the scene. The techno-vampire blames Superman for interfering, but it's not Superman that has done this. Superman is unaware of who is really behind saving the day. Superman chases after the techno-vampire and tries to bring him back to the ground, but the light is so bright, it's beginning to tear the techno-vampire apart. He begins to disintegrate in the bright light. As he begins to fall to the ground, Superman looks down and sees that the techno-vampire has been impaled by a military statue in the middle of the cemetery. Superman looks at it and says he could have swore that the statue had moved towards the techno-vampire. When the light is gone, there is no sign of Dr. Ruthven, the techno-vampire. But the good news is the citizens, including Lucy Lane, have been returned back to their normal human form. When Superman lands, Jimmy says Lucy's fine. In fact, everybody seems to be back to normal. Robin tells Superman, I don't know how you did it, but it worked wonders. Superman looks at Robin and says, I didn't have anything to do with it. Whatever caused that light, it wasn't me. Robin turns and says... A mysterious benefactor? Well, that sounds like that's a question you will unanswered. Back in the hellish location, 
Blaze is soon to realize that this cannot be the work of her brother. Her brother would never do something so stupid to allow himself to be caught by someone else. Someone else is trying to make a play for Metropolis. All right, that was uh, 14 and 17 of Superman, the Man of Steel, and uh, Superman, uh, respectively. Uh, 14 was the one that, uh, when I was uh, picking up comics, I actually bought 70 first, so I didn't know that it was a two-parter. So it wouldn't be till like 10 years later that I actually picked up uh, 14 and that I saw it at a local comic book shop. So I always thought 70 seemed really disjointed. I didn't know... You know, I kept looking in the Superman title thinking, oh, I need to find 79. I didn't realize uh, that they were connected um, at the time. Uh, the art in this one, uh, at least for me, it's uh, – and I love always trying to pronounce these names. It's never a name like Smith, Jones, Johnson. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> The penciler is uh, John Bogdanoff. I, I hope I'm saying that right, and uh, Stu and I both have agreed that's what we're going to call him. So, uh, John, if you're listening and that's how if we mispronounced your name, uh, I really apologize. <laughs> um, it, the cover on this, uh, at least for me, looks a little odd. It looks – I mean, Superman does look scared, but I think he's more having to go to the bathroom than he is looking scared here, at least on the front cover. Um, I kind of find out this way through the issue that some of the proportions are off a little bit. Um, being that this is you know, a Superman book, I don't really think they did justice to Superman on the front of the cover of this book. Am I, am I the only one in that uh, wheelhouse, Stu? No, not at all. I, um, when I first saw the cover art, I thought it was hilarious. You know that um, Superman's kind of looking terrified in the background, and Robin is up front, you know, teeth gritted with his batarang in hand, ready to attack. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I didn't know what the book was going to hold. There might have been something wrong with Superman, but in the book, it doesn't really kind of tie into the action um, that Superman's cowering in fear behind Robin. Um, but yeah, I, I, the, the art is interesting throughout the book, I must admit. I mean, John Bogdanov, uh, I have seen a lot of his art in the past, and it, it never fails to impress. But I mean, as you said, there are some proportion issues in this book. Um, his penciling and colour choices are always kind of bold and striking, I've always found, though. Um, you know, his style isn't my favourite. I think it, it does fit the tone with this issue. There's lots of shadows, lots of deep colour. Um, but as you said, the colour's a little bit disjointed there. Um I do think it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was trying to go back through, uh, and I'll say for uh, the listeners that are have been listening to the previous issue with uh, Tim uh, leaving Wayne Manor and to go take care of his father, then they're buying a manor right next to Wayne Manor. Yeah. Um, uh, it's going to seem a little disjointed here because a lot of times in comics, I think most of us know that these uh, plot ideas are done months in advance, so... Uh, it was at some point that the Superman team decides, hey, we want to bring Robin over into this book and may not necessarily correlate to like, hey, what are you guys doing over in Detective or Batman? So uh, for con- for the continuity police out there, we can just assume that this probably happens before Tim leaves uh, Wayne Manor. But uh, I did think it was interesting that the first shot in this uh, book or set of uh, – paragraphs or paragraphs excuse me panels is robin which i thought was uh, was cool that you know we're not starting the action off with uh superman and what i also thought was cool with tim being uh, still kind of a novice at this point we're not relying on the crutch of batman having to come in somewhere and help tim out because he's not quite sure of himself 
that it's more of DC going, we think this book's going to do well enough uh, on its own to have just Robin and Superman. And I think that's really kind of cool. Um, it it kind of reminds me seeing the two of them together uh, from the Superman animated TV series where uh, Batman was kind of possessed by uh, Brainiac and Superman has to act like uh, Batman along with Robin. So I always kind of... I can't remember what that uh, episode is called for the life of me right now, but um, I always kind of liked that. Yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of that episode too. That was good. I mean, it's a very, very rare pairing that you get Robin and Superman together. I mean, it's a great idea by DC, as you said. You know, you've got a brand new character. Uh, Superman's one of the big guns, so just bring him in to tie in some of the new readers. It's a, it's a really good idea, but I do like the idea of the two of them together. And there are some nice moments, uh, mainly in the second issue, which we'll talk about. Uh, a bit later but um I, I did like the pairing of the two you know because robin's kind of he's been taught one thing by batman uh, and superman comes from a completely different sort of point of view so i always love that kind of juxtaposition between the two uh one of the things i wanted to say just going back to the art for a second was um i mean the introduction as you said it was very interesting that robin was on page one uh, i liked that as well though it kind of got you right into the story his inner monologue told you exactly what was happening you know there was a plague and and he's coming to metropolis uh, but i also loved the first and I really liked the first introduction of Superman. Uh, I thought that was a really, really good image. Uh, he's kind of, he looks a little bit squeezed into the panel, certainly, but um, everything you need to know about that entire situation is in that one panel. You know, there's a seven-car pileup below. It's on the train tracks. There's a train coming, and you've, you've no doubt in your mind he's going to save everyone. You know, it was just a really good introduction for, for both of them. Uh, when I first read this, um, it almost looked like he was standing on top of a miniature toy set, and I was like, "Is <laughs> is, is the toy man? Is the toy man somewhere?" But you know, looking at like, "Oh, you know, he's above coming in." So I don't know if that's due to him being squeezed into the panel a little bit that they're not able to give enough yeah. depth to it. But you, like you totally said, you can totally see that Superman's in motion, and uh, even just in his thought balloons. Uh, that you knew everything you need to know. There's uh, the pile up here and the trains uh, faster than a locomotive. Who's going to get there first? Of course, it's going to be Superman. Uh, exactly. That would have been another panel or two I would have liked to have seen out of this, that we get just a tiny little taste of Superman in his own book, and then we're back to the story that uh, Robin is trying to figure out. So I would have liked to have seen you know Superman do the heroic, save the day, and then you know move on to whatever he was going to do. Yeah, I thought that was interesting by Louise Simonson and the fact that, as you said, Superman just makes fleeting appearances through the book, uh, usually just for one page or a few panels, and then it's right back to the Robin sort of vampire storyline. One thing I've just noticed, now that I'm looking at the image, you know, I said I loved it and things, but as you said, it does look like a toy set. And also, if you if you imagine in his forward fist just putting a web in there, it looks like a Spider-Man pose. Yeah, it really it looks like Spider-Man swinging. So I don't know if he... Um, I don't know if Bogdanov has done Spider-Man work in the past, or but it really looks like a Spider-Man swinging pose. Yeah, it, do, it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't say in awe, I'm just kind of now looking at other little things here. And I think as a kid, things like this always kind of bothered me. I would look at it and go, I can't see the yellow on Superman's belt anywhere. It's not, you know, he's he's hunched over, then I would go, is he not wearing a belt? Why would Superman not wear a belt? So... I think sometimes, you know, being a kid reading comics, you maybe aren't paying so much attention to the story itself as the, you know, the colorful images. And there's a couple color 
uh, things on Superman's costume, I think in the next issue where his boots yeah. are hard right, where I was like, oh, that's got to bother Stu. <laughs> yeah, that's in my notes, definitely. Like, Why does he have blue boots? <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's true. I mean, uh, when you're when you're young and stuff, you I was always very detail oriented. You know, you know when you're watching like a cartoon and one of the characters walks on screen, they put their own color costume for a couple of seconds. I always picked up on that kind of stuff. You know, so I'm the same with comics. When I read these for this podcast, I was you know analyzing everything about them, and um, yeah, I definitely picked up on that. I'm gonna jump uh, trains here just for a moment since you were talking about colored boots. Uh, Throne of Atlantis has just recently come out on uh, DVD, and somebody put up a a still on Facebook somewhere that they, in one section, I think when they meet Arthur for the very first time, they don't color in Superman's neck. His uh, collar is gone, and he has the traditional open, you know, open collar type of a shirt. He doesn't have his turtleneck collar on for one brief moment when you see the Justice League, it goes back to Arthur and then back Superman's, uh, you know, shoulders and uh, high collar are, are back on. But uh, I didn't notice it watching the movie, um, only, you know, realized it when I saw it on Facebook and I thought, oh, that, that probably can't be true. Somebody probably did that on purpose. And I put the movie in, sure enough, it's there. So I don't know if you caught that at all. Oh. Totally missed that, and that, that, this is the first time you hear, and I'll have to look that up. Yeah. How does it look? Does it look cool, or...? It, it, it kind of it kind of reminds me of this, you know, where he has the, the open neck and not the high collar, but the way the placement of the cape is, it almost looks like some of the Mattel figures where the cape is on the skin <laughs> as opposed to being on, oh, on the uh, shirt. So it, it was obviously a, a missed color, but even the... Uh, Red stripe around the collar is gone too. So, oh, okay, just animation gaff. Yeah, no, that's I, I never noticed that at all, to be honest. So, yeah, it's in that the first time the Justice League meet Aquaman. It's right in that uh, that set. If if anybody out there cares to watch it, so. I'll be watching it after we finish. <laughs> <laughs> I did start to say this. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, going back through uh, some of these issues that uh, come out of, I wondered if they were coming out of Detective Comics or. Or Batman, like, was there this plague going on that you could go back to and reference and go, oh, yes, this is something Batman and Robin were currently on. Uh, not that I can find, so I'm just assuming this is just a plot point of we need an excuse to get Robin in this book, so uh, this is what it is. And I also thought it was kind of clever that they don't explain why Batman isn't with Robin. There's no dialogue between Batman and Superman of the of why Batman's not here. It's just Robin was on this lead on his own. It brought him to Metropolis, and here we are. So, Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. The, the issue kind of screams that, that they were basically told, look, Robin's coming in the issue, uh, certainly for the Man of Steel line anyway. Like Simonson uh, was obviously told, look, Robin's coming in for an issue. We just want a kind of one-and-done storyline. Uh, one thing that's really interesting about the, uh, the book is, and I'm sure you, you noticed this halfway through the episode, Superman is... Essentially, they explain him not being in the story for most of it because for 24 hours he is constantly um, saving people. You know, whether it's a, a, a mine cave in or toxic waste, that's something I want to talk about as well, the toxic waste scene. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but he's, he's busy. And essentially, halfway through the story, Superman arrives, of course, back in Metropolis. You know, he changes back into Clark. And there's just this really small scene where he bumps into his neighbor and obviously she's got facial bruises. And yeah. um, it's never elaborated on in the story. It's just like a tiny little scene but i can totally tell that that was 
that was there because essentially that entire storyline gets brought up in the next issue. Um, so basically in Man of Steel 15, which takes place after this, it has no mention of vampires at all. Um, that's obviously resolved in Superman 70. But uh, in the next issue, uh, Man of Steel 15, basically it's all about domestic abuse. And there's a really good scene where Clark is essentially kind of laying topless in bed, you know, next to Lois, you know. <laughs> uh, he's basically just laying there um, and... The, the sort of scene is intercut. One half of the panel is him, him thinking, and the next half is basically um, his his neighbour, like down the hall, is basically getting beaten up by her husband, and it's his inner monologue as it's happening, trying you know trying to explain it away, saying it might be this, it might be that, and eventually you know he can't take it anymore. And he basically puts on the costume, bursts in the door, and grabs him up by his neck, and you know he's telling him he's a terrible person, and uh, it's a really really powerful issue, you know. Um, and of course, it's all about domestic abuse. The, the wife is making apologies for the husband, and she's hitting Superman with a frying pan, telling him to get off. Huh. You know, and that's not what he's expecting to happen, of course. And he's telling her to go to like a, a crime prevention center, you know, Robocop style. <laughs> and um, and it's all about, you know, she basically doesn't want his help, you know, and he has to leave, and he doesn't understand the whole situation. But I really liked it in this issue, just going back to this one. It was just a tiny, you know, one-page little little sort of set of panels, but they were really going to follow up with it next issue. That I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I've got it uh, farther down in my notes, but I was like, I, I wanted to get to that point of, that's a disappointment I had in these two issues. If if I was only picking up these these two issues, uh, that's the nice thing about comics. They don't want to tell you everything you need to know, so you don't buy another issue. Uh, yeah. But I I was kind of expecting in '70 for for that to be resolved. But you know, when I was buying comics in the early '90s, I kind of went right back over to uh, Batman, and then didn't start picking up Superman again until. Um, the death of Superman actually was kind of upon us, but uh, that, yeah. that makes me feel better that uh, I'm going to have to probably go check that issue out, Stu. Uh, and you said it's in 15 of uh, The Man of Steel? Yeah, Man of Steel 15. What I did was, when I was preparing for this, uh, I thought I would kind of look on either side, you know, look on what, what was the issue before, what was the issue after, just in case anything interesting happened. And Actually, I tell a lie, I think it's Man of Steel 16, Um yeah, sorry, I beg your pardon. Totally made a mistake there. Yeah, it's definitely it's Man of Steel sixteen, um, where the you know the whole situation is resolved, and um, there's some beautiful art in there as well. It's a really really good issue. Cool. Uh, was there anything uh, before, like in Man of Steel uh, thirteen at all, that happened uh, leading into this, or was it just the tie up of? whatever previous story they were on. It was. I, now, for the life of me, I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember, but it was totally unrelated. There were no scenes that kind of tied in or there was no kind of like mention of the plague or something. Because as, as, as 14 starts, the plague is is there. You know, people are being attacked. Um, so I can't remember exactly what it's about, but it doesn't have any relevance as far as I can remember. Gotcha, but, gotcha. Yeah. Um, we move through. Uh, this uh, in three is... Is odd. It's just setting up um, a beat that's going to be for Lois later, where a corpse has a stake uh, driven through its heart that Lois will bring up. You know, uh, the funny thing in this uh, <laughs> through uh, these two issues that when we get to Jimmy Olsen, nobody wants to believe Jimmy that there's vampires. I mean, you yeah. can, you can believe that a guy in a red and blue suit can fly through. Uh, buildings and fly through the sky, but you can't believe there could possibly be a vampire in your own sister's bedroom. <laughs> but yeah. Nobody, yeah, I thought that was funny. Nobody believes Jimmy, but we do have a setup here. Um, 
of this. Apparently, it's a vampire uh, killer that happens to be a vampire or the... Um, the villain in this book is taking out other vampires, which this this one page didn't make any sense to me uh, at all. Um, am, am I the only one in this no, boat? <laughs> no, I see where you're coming from. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, essentially what I took from it was that this vampire, which essentially I think is referred to as the techno vampire, yeah. um, this vampire basically is just essentially killing its opposition. Uh, so you're meant to think, and it was, I thought at first it was a really good kind of twist is that you expect it to be like, um, oh, what was his name, Van Helsing. It's like a Van Helsing yeah. style character and he just kills it and then suddenly it's like, you know, I can't stand the opposition and then, then he's gone. So um, it was kind of... I flip on that, and I must admit, I think Simonson did a lot of that throughout the book. Um, you know, they were constantly setting up one thing that you thought was going to happen, and it didn't. Um, things to do with, obviously, to do with the covers and things as well. That always happens. We can talk about that in the second issue. But uh, I, I did feel that she kept the story moving at a brisk pace. You know, it was constantly, as we said, cutting between, you know, from Tim Drake back to Jimmy, then to Superman and back. Um, and, and I did feel that even though Robin was in the issue, I didn't think Superman was out the book for very long. He was always kind of mentioned. Um, and I did think it was interesting that Batman was only mentioned twice in the entire book. Um, yeah. I, I think there's often a, a reliance on Robin constantly mentioning Batman all the time. And, and he was only mentioned twice in passing, once in the very first page. Um, I can't even remember the second time now, but I remember making a note that he only mentioned them once again. Um, I, I think this is a cool... Um, in some spots in the book, I thought the art was was really good but in other spots i was kind of like uh uh you know it was a little iffy but uh the top panel up on page four uh that is a good representation of lon cheney from was that 1939 uh dracula uh movie that they're kind of you know reenacting here for us and uh jimmy is trying his darndest to talk to uh lucy lane about hey i just took uh these photos for this rock star i think the rock star's name is babe is that Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that, yeah. I kind of I was reading that sentence, and I thought he was talking to her, saying like, "Babe, pay attention to me," you know, right. "Babe." But um, yeah, I think it is, "Babe." This shows you uh, as much as I kind of think. Oh, I know enough about Superman. I didn't realize that uh, Lois Lane had a sister. I had always assumed that Lois uh, was an only child. So, um, I mean, I, I read these way back when, but even reading uh, this now, kind of for the podcast, I'd kind of completely forgot about uh, Lucy Lane. Does she have any other history outside of... I mean, I know she's in this time frame, but was there a time frame where they just kind of like wrote her out of continuity, or is she kind of still around? Well, once again, there are gaps in my comic knowledge, but I mean, she has turned up quite a lot. The first time I ever saw her was in Lois and Clark, the TV show, you know, where Terry Hatcher, her sister, would always come over. And, That's right. Uh, but also, if you ever saw Supergirl the movie, um, that was Lucy Lane. That was kind of... Helen Slater's best friend was Lucy yeah. Lane, and okay. she was kind of she was dating Jimmy Olsen and that as well. So I mean, she she had been around. I mean, she's she's been in comics as well. She actually, um, I think she she was actually Superwoman for a while in the comics. You know, she had a white a white hood. They made an action figure of her in DC Direct. All right. Um, it's the super. It's a, I think it's Superwoman. She's called, and um, I've never read those books, but um, yeah, she's she's had kind of like a visible 
sort of comic appearance. I've never I've never read too much with her to be honest. And uh, she looks different every time you see her. Yeah. Black black hair, blonde hair, red hair. Um, yeah, uh, for some reason I thought that was Bella Lugosi. I think you're right. I think it is Lon Chaney that was playing the vampire. Um, <laughs> I think it was really good as well that um, Bogdanov um, he pretty much nailed almost every famous. Uh, Dracula actor, you had Nosferatu. You know when his picture got taken, he turned yep. into the classic uh, Max Shrek Nosferatu, um, and just all these, all these um, sort of different appearances were really nice. I thought Jimmy in this was hilarious. <laughs> uh, it was so cheesy. I, I don't know if you picked up on this as well, Rob, but there were so many eighties and nineties references all the way through it. Uh, some of these are really geeky, so stop me if you've heard them. But I mean. Um, like, for example, you know the scene where Jimmy's trying to convince Lois that there's vampires? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a tiny little thing, but if you zoom in under his arm, he's got a book. Now, this is uber, this is uber geeky, because I zoomed in. Uh, he's got a book under his arm that's called The Tobin Spirit Guide. Yeah. And that, that was a book that was mentioned in Ghostbusters by Ray. He was going to oh. look up Zool in The Tobin <laughs> Spirit Guide. That's right. Um, so, that, yeah, that's really geeky. But also, like, whenever, you know, when it, when it cut to Lucy's room, there were so many 80s and 90s toys. You had, like, My Little Pony, and you had the um, those long-haired trolls. With a j- and, little jewel that on top of the VCR, yeah, I see those. Oh, yeah, and there was Care Bears, and, you know, it was um, there was loads of sort of classic 80s, 90s. And the ultimate 80s callback scene was when uh, Jimmy was tooling up to battle, battle the vampire, and he had, like, a commando scene where he was, you know, he was getting his, um, like, holy water and his garlic and all that stuff and even had like a red bandana like rambo it was covered in 80s and 90s references let's let's jump to that because that's uh, that is something I, I definitely wanted to to talk about here um well we've got the toxic spill coming up first and uh let, let's hit that at first here yeah um, um actually going back out uh, uh, one here to uh, page seven where jimmy is trying to show lois um, what happened in the previous panel that uh, Jimmy threw his camera at the uh, you know vampirish uh, figure that he saw and it happens to take a picture and even while Jimmy's trying to explain to Lois and their long long haired hippie friend here <laughs> uh, that he has a picture of uh, Lucy floating in air and uh, they're looking at it like oh that's been photographed I don't think they say Photoshop here but uh, <laughs> they're still not believing it like here's your sister outside the bedroom window with Jimmy in the house. And she's just floating in midair. You still don't believe it? I mean, this must have been back in the 90s where I don't think a lot of people have the accessibility to start, you know, photoshopping uh, things like, you know, (laughs) we could do, I could do right now in 10 minutes here and make it halfway, you know, believable, you know. No, I totally agree. And um, it was very funny. I think that was just a a page to give a bit of resistance to Jimmy, you know, that he's got to go on his own kind of thing. He's not got any backup at all in the Daily Planet whatsoever. Poor, Jim, poor Jimmy. Uh, the, to- the toxic spill here. Uh, something that you had uh, brought up that uh, Superman is spending a lot of a lot of his time um, out of the story because he's taking care of all these uh, disasters uh, that are going on here. So we have the uh, the toxic spill here. I'll let you take the uh, the reins on this one. Yeah, no problem. I mean, first before I, I talk about it, I just want to make a, a note of. The location that this happens in is the most ludicrously detailed location ever. It could have said Maryland, but it says Maryland, east of the Chesapeake Bay, a tributary near Hillsborough, leading into the Choptank River. It was so detailed. You could tell that she knows someone that lived there, and she just wanted to put that in there as a little callback. But um, yeah, so basically this scene, as you mentioned in the um, as you mentioned in the synopsis, there's basically a couple of guys pouring essentially toxic waste into a river, and uh, one of them mentions, you know, 
that the company's behind this. It's like an illegal dump. Um, and that obviously, whilst it's uh, terribly smelling, that it, you know, it's safe enough to swim in. So Superman just happens to be flying by, grabs them, and he says, oh, safe, then I assume you won't mind taking a little dip and throws them into this toxic waste, which I couldn't believe. I, actually, I was, I was reading it, and my brother was walking by, and I said, look at this. I couldn't believe that this was in a Superman comic. And, of course, they come out, and the expression on the guy in the foreground at the bottom right is hilarious. His mouth is about two foot wide, you know, because of the smell. <laughs> uh, and then the guy, I mean, at first I thought, you know, it must be safe. But then the guy says, if I get cancer, I'm going to sue your cape off, man. <laughs> so there is a chance that he may get cancer. But, um, yeah, I thought that was so out of character for Superman, to be honest. Um, uh, so I don't know what I, you thought. This this seemed like a Batman move. Like, if Batman and Robin were in Metropolis together, um, I would have pictured this being the Batman part of the story. Yeah. That uh, Batman threw these thugs in to find out whatever these thugs or these chemical dumpers in, uh, and didn't care if you get cancer. Well, that's not my fault. You shouldn't have been doing this. And then I would have expected Superman to come flying in and say, "That's not how we do things in Metropolis, Bruce," and to have that. So I kind of half expected for Robin to be yeah. somewhere around this, but yeah, it kind of seemed out of character. And again, it's not like this book is in detective comics where you go, well, they really don't write Superman. I'm like, this is, this is Superman's own book. So yeah, it, it's, it seemed a little odd that Superman would be acting this way, but yeah, especially when I had no relevance to the storyline, you'd understand if, yeah. if there was a big company that was behind it all, but no, it was very strange beat. I thought, <laughs> Uh, I the note I have here for uh, page ten with a uh, Jimmy Olsen is as is, is Jimmy Olsen a Guy Gardner wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> I also made a note that he looked like Cable from the X Men. Yeah, he's so bulky looking, and uh, it was such a it was such a cheesy eighties callback. You know, like you you've got the stakes around his waist holding the crucifix, yeah. and uh, it was hilarious. I expected uh, Chuck Norris to be his partner at some point. You know, <laughs> a couple of Uzis. Now, is this a? Uh, I think the word I want to use is a trope that they would do with Jimmy Olsen. Um, they even make a reference. Uh, well, it'll be it'll happen in a little bit with Robin. Um, that yeah. Jimmy would take on these different type of uh, uh, roles or, or disguises to kind of make himself a little bit tougher, since he was uh, Superman's you know, pal, as it were? Or is this just kind of like a, a one-off thing? Or is this something that Jimmy kind of traditionally does? Yeah, no, I mean, I think in the comics, he is notorious for essentially going in without thinking and getting in trouble, and that's why he has that handy watch, you know, yeah. for Superman to come and save him. But I think in a lot of more sort of popular media, they kind of replace that, that Jimmy Jimmy Olsen sort of character trope with uh, Lois, you know, and, and like, for example, Lois and Clark, she'd be the one that would go in and he'd have to save her. And But in the comics, initially, it was always Jimmy that did the stupid things that, you know, Superman had to go and rescue him from. So I think this is a pretty regular occurrence. We don't really find out the name of this uh, being. He refers to himself, I wrote it here somewhere, Lord of something. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Lord of the Undead, uh, that we find out in, in 70. Yeah. Um, that he's kind of going through and seeing uh, these different people in different states of you know grief or whatever. Uh, we do find him going to Babe, uh, the... Uh, rock star here which 
um, the bottom of uh, page 11 here, the way he's uh, <laughs> licking her neck and her fangs, the face is just really, uh, really off. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> weird. The teeth were pointing the wrong direction. He had no nose. Uh, yeah, that's a terrible drawing. I'll, I'll give you that. It makes no sense at all. The teeth are in front. Of, one of them's in front of the neck. One's behind and the tongue's on the front of the neck. And yeah, yeah that was all over the place. It, we do get a little bit of resolve uh, with Babe uh, in seventy, but we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, about here. Uh, but we have the first meeting on page uh, twelve and thirteen with uh, Robin and Jimmy Olsen. Uh, this kind of had me going a little bit. I would have thought that uh, Tim should have known who Jimmy Olsen is. I would have thought this would have been probably in some of the discussion. Uh, the Batman and Robin would have had at some point, you know, uh, Jimmy Olsen has, or Jimmy Olsen Superman has this friend named Jimmy Olsen. You know, I, uh, they both, yeah. they both play as they don't know who each other are. Yeah. All. Like, yeah. When he says like, uh, you're, and it's like Robin as in Batman and who are you? Yeah. I, I, admittedly, you might not have expected Jimmy to look like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I mean, thinking, I mean, he's, he's, he's meant to have been Robin for how long at this point, roughly chronologically? Chrono- probably in, in comic terms, he's been there as far publication, publication two years, but chronology, he's probably been six, seven months, probably. Oh, okay. So, I mean, he, he might not be as, as amazing as, um, I've totally forgotten the first Robin. Can you believe that? That's terrible. What's his name? Uh, it would be uh, Richard Grayson. Oh, yeah, Dick. Sorry. <laughs> I just totally had a brain fart there. Yeah, I mean, so he's not going to be as knowledgeable as Dick, certainly, but you'd assume that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty obvious thing that you would know. You'd know who Superman was. Maybe not his alternate identity. I don't know if... Batman reveals that with Tim, well, but um, he would certainly know his, his acquaintances. I, I could see it on the other end, that Tim not know who Jimmy is, that maybe that's just something not important for Bruce to tell Jimmy. But I would have thought working in the Daily Planet, and Lois and Clark and Jimmy are in the business of telling news and taking pictures, that yeah. the R on the chest would have given, like, oh, you're Batman's best friend, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even the fact that Jimmy manages to smash a bottle of holy water on his face—that's that looks like a pretty bad impact in that panel. You know, it looks like he should be out for the out for the count. Yeah, there's a callback here. I'm jumping a page uh, into 14 uh, with Robin and Jimmy on uh, top of a building. I believe this is the uh, Detective Comics. I want to say it's like 42 or 41 that uh, Jimmy's in the place of where Dick Grayson Robin would be, and uh, Robin is in the place where uh, Batman would be. That's uh, straight out of uh, Detective Comics issue. Oh, okay. That's, that's, yeah, it looks like that. It looks like a kind of iconic image with one of them nailed down, one of them above. And then it's a really cool image, and then just to the right of that, you have an embarrassing image of the two of them <laughs> swinging on a rope. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like uh, Ace and Gary from the uh, Saturday Night Live uh uh, ambiguously gay Jew. Yeah, there it is. I was I was trying so hard to not say that. But. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean it's a really it's a really humorous um, pose. I must admit though that is kind of dwarfed by the Superman image, which is all kinds of out of perspective. Oh yeah. Um, you know his his sort of rib cage is bigger than his pecs, and his his hands are twice the size of his head, and. Don't get me wrong, I mean, it's meant to convey the sort of power he's holding up a, a mine cave in, you know, and he's saving them all, but I just think it looks, it doesn't look very good at all. Um, the uh, person that uh, Jimmy and uh, Robin are trying to track down, uh, he's at least they're calling him Dr. Ruthven at this point. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, the doctor ends up telling him, you know, what, what better way to uh, basically get blood and, and fresh bodies is out of hospital. So uh, this fight, it's it's not drawn. Uh, I shouldn't say it's not drawn well. They're just not showing uh, the hospital uh, during the fight sequences that kind of take uh, on through here. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, Robin that has to remind Jimmy, uh, you know that watch that you have? Uh, you might want to try turning it on right now. <laughs> yeah. Especially uh, especially in the top panel where one of his arms has become twice as long as it should be. I'd be getting worried at that point. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I know. I, I can see what they're doing with the background. They're kind of, I don't know if it's meant to be smoke or misty, or but they've kind of, they've got a smoke cloud around them. But yeah, I, I think it's totally, um, it's totally telling that Tim's the one that knows, you know, we're in trouble here. We need to get Superman in on this. Um, and here is the uh, part in 17 that you were talking about that goes into the domestic uh, violence. Like Superman is finally getting home, and you get the little uh, editorial at the top to let you know that Superman's in Metropolis and uh, in his house. And it looks kind of funny, Superman trying to put on his looks like oversized <laughs> green pants really fast coming down, coming down the steps. And I always, yeah, always used to think, how does Superman get his cape to get tucked into his pant legs and everything like that? So Yeah, with pants that big, there's no problem at all. <laughs> it looks like in, in the elevator, it looks like Simon Carroll, his, his trousers are so high. <laughs> yeah, it does. But um, yeah, it's a really, I mean, it's this is just such a strange beat to have in the middle of this storyline. It's really good that they... They, they finish it in two issues' time, or deal with it at least. The uh, technical vampire does make his uh, first appearance here. Um, uh, crushes, at first I thought he broke Jimmy's wrist here. Uh, yeah. But it looks like he just crushes uh, the Superman uh, signal. And then Robin trying as hard as he uh, can to, uh, he was all about, you got to stake a vampire, you got to stake a vampire. Uh, apparently he didn't get the memo that you're not supposed to stake Jimmy Olsen because he drives it right through, <laughs> right through Jimmy's shoulder here. And I, I love the sound effect, chalk. Yeah. You know, oh, God, that's funny. And then the, I must admit, the image in the second panel down on page 19 had me kind of smirking. It just, uh, I don't know, there was just something about it. It seemed really out of, out of tone. It looked really cartoony or overly cartoony. But, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, p- poor Jimmy with a bit of wood stuck through his shoulder. <laughs> Uh, but that's always the – it kind of reminds me of uh, – was it Superman 3 where Jimmy's trying to get the shots from the fire and goes up <laughs> on the uh, uh, ladder of the fire truck, falls down, ends up breaking his ankle, and, you know, there's Jimmy on the ground. Oh, help, help, you know. <laughs> <laughs> always in pedal. Uh, always, always. Um, and we do have Superman finally uh, coming in to uh, where our would-be heroes are to help try and save the day. And uh, this is kind of the first hint that we're given here that there might be a little bit of magic uh, playing into uh, what this creature is that uh, may not totally be a vampire, but Superman kind of seems a little overwhelmed. And uh, reading this way back when, I wasn't really familiar with Superman's power set, or I just assumed he could do everything and nothing could ever hurt him. And it wasn't until much later on that I realized that Superman doesn't uh, do too well with magic. So uh, uh, it does take a little bit, but Superman is able to uh, fly the uh, vampire, uh, as it were, into the sun and kind of uh, dissolves him. So you kind of get this moment of like, whew, Superman comes in and saves the day. 
but our final few panels kind of reveal that that might not actually be the case as they're uh, flying Jimmy Olsen to the nearest uh, Metropolis Hospital. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I thought it was it was quite an interesting scene when he, he basically took the techno vampire and he, it was a great line, we'll greet the dawn together. Yeah. Um, and of course, people always have this big issue about Superman never kills. Superman never kills. He did kill quite often in the comics, yes. uh, as evidenced by this, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously you see it fizzing away into nothing and... Um, as you said, I'm flying Jimmy back. One of the complaints I've got about this issue, and I was just noticing it as we're reading through it, is that um, you don't really get a sense of where you are geographically. Yeah. Um, like, as soon as they start fighting Dr. Ruthven, um, from that point on, you, you have no idea where they are. There's a grey background, there's an orange background, a pink background. You don't know if they're in the streets, on a roof, you know, outside the hospital. That was my main complaint about it, was I just didn't know geographically where they were. Um but certainly, as you said, at the very, very end, it's uh, it's nice that, you know, the episodes of uh, issues almost at an end and you hear the, the sort of stereotypical laughing from the villain again. Yeah, I think that I had the same uh, note, uh, note in my notes, if that sounds redundant, um, <laughs> about uh, just the geography of it. Um, I, I know they'll make reference to it in 70 where, you know, there's this mist that this uh, vampirish creature is using and that kind of leads them to the cemetery. But uh, like you like you were saying, there's there's no like, okay, are we still in front of the hospital? Are we on a roof? Are we out in the middle of a, a giant meadow? So um, I think nowadays, uh, if we were reading in the New 52, that we would definitely know where we were. There would be buildings behind, and I think a lot of detail is being done in comics now, where I kind of think, um, at least in this time frame, or maybe just in this book, that uh, less was more for them. We'll just do a, a purple hue, and yeah, you'll know we're in the Batcave, or we're in the Daily Planet, but I don't yeah. have to draw the rows and rows and rows of tables and people typing. But uh, that's kind of something I think I... I really enjoy is that extra detail uh, that are in comics, which uh, at this time uh, DC was kind of uh, noted for uh, getting books out late. I think it was. Oh, really? It wasn't until the New Fifty Two where uh, DC really made the effort to say we're getting our books out on time. That uh, I can remember going into comic book stores right around the beginning of nightfall and knowing, hey, it's Wednesday, this book is supposed to be out. And they said, oh, I got pushed back a week. And I remember that kind of happening quite a bit. So. Yeah, yeah, they, they really have, from what I've heard anyway, they've really made big strides in, in getting everything out on time. The only sort of major exception, I would say, was maybe Superman Unchained, right. which was meant, I think it took like twice as long as it was meant to. You know, there was like, I think even three or four months between issues, which I think a lot of people were just bored of it by then. You know, they, they, they've it's been so long since the last issue they had to reread them all again but uh, yeah I totally agree I mean I think nowadays um, a lot of comic artists are a lot more um, they use a lot more kind of cinematography when they're doing it you know imagine it was like a movie you'd have an establishing shot and then um, you know they'd go into so much more detail plus digital you know a lot of digital tools they've got nowadays that these guys back they just didn't have that it was just it would be an extra three hours if you wanted to draw a building in the background you know so just forget it yeah, I, like I said, nowadays the the building landscape is already set up, and oh, I need to put it here. I'll turn it sideways. I'll do whatever, and yeah. bam, you've got your your building backdrop, and you can just drop your characters in wherever. Um, if you're cool with it, we'll move on to Superman seventy. No problem. Um, 
I love the art. This was the first one that I bought. Um, I bought them out of order. Like I said, there was probably a seven to ten year gap between the two. Um, I instantly recognized uh, the name Dan Jurgens on the front of it, so I, I kind of already knew um, what I was going to expect on the art here. The the front of this uh, cover. Um, as much as I like it, really doesn't have anything to do with it inside the issue or the, or the events that are happening here. Uh, but I like that, at least as far as the cover goes, it, you see Superman that's being bit by a female vampire, which is actually Lucy. But it's Robin that's coming in to save the day. And uh, I don't know if it was supposed to be a gag, but Robin is hell-bent on these two issues. I want to stab somebody with a stake. I mean, <laughs> I, I get to stab Jimmy Olsen, but I, I want to get one of these vampire things. So I don't know if that was supposed to be meant to be funny, but every time Robin would make mention of that, it would always kind of make me laugh a little bit. Yeah, I agree too. I thought it was really telling that, as you said, he's willing to do whatever is necessary to finish off these vampires, you know. And super, and this is what's funny: is Superman has to remind them that they're they're once people. Now, this was something I didn't like about this issue. Now, I, I do prefer this issue over the one before. Um, but basically, there was at the very beginning of the story, you know, Tim is, you know, basically telling Superman, you know, we have to stake them. And Superman says, you know, we have to remind you they were once people. But at this point in the storyline, there's only one vampire. You know, he, he did, you know, he, he was sort of burned up in uh, the sort of upper atmosphere and then he came back. But they both have this conversation like there's lots of vampire people now and that's never been mentioned in the issue at all. Obviously, there are vampire people that it turns out later, but we didn't know about that at this point, which I thought was a bit strange. Um, you know, there was one techno vampire he was got rid of. Then we heard the laughing then this episode started, or this issue started. Um, and then when Superman said, we're talking about people here, it's a completely different attitude from uh, Captain Toxic Waste <laughs> from the episode before. Right. Uh, I, I just like the... Uh, uh, you just summed it up really well, but the, the history that Robin is trying to tell Superman, uh, the art uh, in this uh, first... I mean, the whole book is really good, but these first few pages of just Superman and Robin together, I really liked. Uh, you can just see the size uh, difference between Superman and Robin that Superman dwarfs you know, Tim that's probably right around the age of 13 to 14 years old, I think, at this point. And I was kind of glad to see that size difference where uh, sometimes you'll have Robin that's the exact same size. It's kind of like the Mattel Damien figure that recently came out. As much yeah. as I like the figure, he looks like he's an 18-year-old you know, boy, <laughs> all, yeah. all roided up. Uh, the split page here for two and three. Um, I wish this uh, shot of Robin and Superman, uh, with Superman flying down the building and Robin kind of uh, swinging down the building. I wish this was on one page instead of being split between the two. I think that's just a beautiful shot of the two of them. And you don't see, you know, Superman and Robin doing much of anything together. Uh, normally Batman would be on the left hand side if it's going to involve somebody from Gotham city, but that's, it's probably my single favorite panel out of the whole entire book is this, you know, kind of splash page shot here. Yeah, I agree too. It's a beautiful image. I mean, just to go back to what you're saying about the first image, that's a great, I mean, it's like night and day between the art of John Bogdanov and Dan Jurgens. I mean, look at that shot. I've, I've, very seldom do you see Superman flying down holding his cape in his hands. It's yeah. such an interesting look. Um, you know, I thought that was really nice. And even the way Robin's looking, you know, he's kind of just let go one rope. And although he's not got another batarang, he's just got a stake in his other arm. But um, yeah, I thought just the art was absolutely beautiful and 
as I said, it couldn't be like night and day compared to Bogdanov's art. Uh, it really jumps off the page to me. Um, very, very great. It's just, the, the entire issue is crammed full of iconic poses and imagery. You know, it really did blow me away. Yeah, and just the uh, look of Jimmy Olsen. I like uh, how he is drawn here better than in the uh, previous issue. Uh, your reference to uh, Batman is made mention here um, in this uh, split page of two and three where Robin says, the one thing Batman taught me is that an extreme possibilities require extreme solutions. And uh, Superman tells Robin, Batman ha- apparently has uh, taught you a number of things. And you can kind of almost feel... Uh, Batman's, you know, disdain for, you know, look, I know this is what Batman taught you, but there are some other things here, and Tim kind of uh, brings that up to Superman as they're coming in Jimmy Olsen's window, saying it's kind of nice to work with somebody that's not so intense all the time. <laughs> yeah, I thought so, that was funny. You know, uh, where Tim, you know, is kind of telling us that, hey, you know, Batman could kind of be a sourpuss, <laughs> you know, from time to time. <laughs> so um, I was kind of hoping for at least out of these two issues, to have a little bit more brighter, upbeat, you know, partnership between the two, but the story really kind of doesn't uh, lend it that way. This is kind of one of the last uh, few times that Superman and Robin are going to be together uh, in this book till the very end, and I have, you know, something to say when we get to the end here. Yeah, no, that's right, and I thought it was a really interesting beat where, you know, on the splash page, they're flying down, and Superman basically just gives Tim some kudos. You know, he just says, you handle that rope in these heights like you've been doing it for years. And he's like, gee, thanks, that's cool you know us. Um, so I, I thought that was a nice little beat there. You know, he's just basically just telling him that he's he's really good in the Robin role. You know, he's only been in it a little time, but um, he's already impressing Superman. Yeah. Um, I think this is the, the official pat on the back from uh, Superman. Um, Guy and Guy Gardner, uh, Kyle Rayner was told something very seriously, or seriously, very similar uh, that you know you may not be Hal Jordan, but uh, you're the best Lantern for uh, Central City right now. Yeah, passing the torch kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, we have uh, a moment here on page four where uh, Superman does the whole, you know, I'll take care of this, guys. Jimmy, you rest up, and of course, you know. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen and Jimmy's new best friend Robin aren't really going to listen to Superman. They're going to go out, you know, on their own here. Um, the uh, fourth panel here I've got in my notes: uh, Superman in his blue boots. Uh, oh yeah, it's the <laughs> not the. I mean, I've seen action figures that are kind of colored uh, similar to this. Um, that it kind of reminds me more of like the Eradicator, kind of a little bit, at least a waist down proportion. Uh, but I don't know the face that Superman is trying to make here. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> flying away. Yeah, no, it's very, uh, I, the only thing I would say to that is that maybe you see the sun in the far background. They're meant to be shading them quite quite strongly there. You know, he's yeah. in shade. But he does, he, he looks a bit like Ultraman. Ultraman's usually got, you know, all blue boots and legs. Yeah. Um, obviously, he doesn't have the briefs, though. But yeah, it, that's meant to sort of, sort of signify he's very upset that his future sister-in-law is in danger, you know? Yeah. And at at this moment, uh, Clark and Lois are engaged. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. This was was pre-wedding. They were basically engaged all the way up to death of Superman. Uh, Then he dies. Then when he comes back, they get married. I believe, anyway. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember that with... I think it was the Adventures of Lois and Clark. I'm trying to remember which was which. They didn't want the TV to get married before they actually did in the comics, or the comics didn't, you know, 
one of the two were told to wait. I think it was a TV show. They were going to have him get married, and the comics are like, no, because we haven't had him properly married yet. So I think they made him wait like another season. Yeah, I think what they did was they introduced that. As far as I'm aware, I might be totally wrong, but I think they were meant to get married in the finale of that season. But then when they couldn't, they introduced the whole Kryptonians coming to Earth and Clark had to leave with them, and he had like kind of the black and blue Superman suit, you know? It was, um, so that was kind of a. I like that storyline actually. It was a bit more action. But uh, yeah, the TV show had to wait until he did it in the comics first. I, I thought I remembered that correctly, so I'm glad. <laughs> this was this is one question in my notes that I wrote. I hope Stu knows the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the part in the book for me that I, I don't say it took me out of the book, but. Um, without having read a lot of Superman stuff, that you know, you're not going to have the average thug that's going to be able to beat up Superman. It's going to have to try and be something a lot bigger uh, to deal with Superman. But Blaze, I think, is the character's name here. If I wrote that down right, and the little trollish type thing that's doing the yes, oh great warrior one, or yes, thou evil Lord being spirit. You know, the total butt kisser <laughs> here. Is this a a one-off Superman villain, or is this a villain uh, that's just like Batman's rogues? He has a lot of different villains, or is this just a one-and-done villain for Superman? To be honest, I have no idea. Uh, I must admit, I, I totally agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of magical characters. Uh, the only real exception is like Mr. Mixius Pidlick. I think you know that there's exceptions to the rule, but usually if I'm watching anything and a magical character turns up, I'm kind of like, eh. you know, because, I mean, essentially, they're in hell. You know, and they're yeah. they're waiting to devour souls, and that always kind of changes things. It's kind of very Constantine, um, but yeah, her name is Mistress Blaze. Her little sort of minion is called Burp, <laughs> and um, obviously there's Satanus as well. You know, so I mean, um, this this had a much different tone from the first one. You know, the first one was kind of more of a vampire story. This was a much more you know covered in magical characters everywhere, basically. Yeah, then we uh, end up moving uh, through with Blaze here to, uh, and then this is the uh, uh, disadvantage of not reading uh, Superman comics at this time, uh, having uh, Clark's former boss here getting ready to commit suicide uh, and jumping off the bridge. So I was kind of curious um, if you went far enough back to find out the events of this, or is this just something that um, it was too far down that you weren't able to figure up what happened here? Well, what? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's Samuel Foswell. Um, I mean, I don't really know too much about him. Um, I know that, as you said, he did work for the planet at one point. He looks very much like Alfred. Uh, normally, yeah. if you look, if you look him up on on Google and things like that, he's he's very much like Alfred. But um, you know, I think he dates all the way back. Um, I'm just I'm taking a quick look on his wiki page just now. <laughs> Talk about being professional. Uh, it says first appearance was 1991, so he appeared in January 91. Wow. Um, that was issue 51. So it's not like he's he's got went all the way back to the golden age or anything. Um, basically says he was a Daily Planet worker. Um, he was. It says alignment good, so he was a good guy. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't really have too much information about it. Um, so I think 19, 19 appearances is all he ever had. So not a massive, a massive comic history. So he had a start in ninety one, and we're in August of ninety two at this point. So uh, yeah, as far as the publication goes, yeah, chances are. I can imagine him being a very similar. 
J. Jonah Jameson kind of character, you know, sort of button heads with the main hero and then eventually kind of goes out the storyline. We have uh, Blaze trying to manipulate him here and kind of give him this false sense of hope, like saves him and then uh, inevitably uh, drops him and lets him uh, fall to the ground. But uh, Blaze is able to uh, kind of manipulate Superman to kind of get him to go where she wants him to go to save this guy, which... It kind of seems like a stretch towards the end. It must play into a plot point later on that uh, this character is going to be used kind of against Superman in some way or to be able to bring back this uh, magical element towards the end here. But uh, have a little motion or a mention from Clark here that he's surprised uh, that he's at the state that he's in. He knows it's his former boss, but... Uh, uh, didn't realize Sam was this distraught that he would be willing to take his own life, but Superman doesn't have uh, the time right now to try and you know talk to him probably as he normally would. Yeah, I must admit though, if I'd just saved someone from jumping and then I, I was like, you know, you need to get help, and he's like, no, no, I'm totally fine. Bye. I <laughs> yeah. don't know if I would. I don't know if I would totally believe him. Um, but yeah, just going back ever so slightly, just to the the actual artwork on five, six, and seven. Uh, one of the interesting visual things I thought that Jurgens did was the way that he split the page up into five very tall vertical panels. If yes. you look at five, six, and seven, it does make them kind of hard to read. But I think that's the point. It's meant to be like an otherworldly. You know, every other panel in the book is totally different from this. Um, so whenever you know it cuts to Blaze and Burp doing things, it's like a tall, stretched perspective, almost like they're kind of looking up, you know. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was quite interesting visually. Also visually interesting was on page eight when they first introduced Superman flying. He's completely upside down, which I thought was an interesting touch. Um, there's no reason either. It's not like you know he's specifically flying down the way. He's just flying through the fog. Uh, but he's totally upside down. At least I think he's upside down. Yeah. Or am I just looking at that wrong? I, I believe you are, because if you look at the cape, his cape that's kind of folded underneath his left arm there, you can kind of see the top of, like, like where a water tower would be. On, yeah. You can see a little building on top of there. So it's almost like Superman was in the middle of a barrel roll, and you freeze-framed your, your DVD or something like that, and you have this cool, yeah. cool image here. And I like when they take liberties with superman like that in flight it's just not the the sterile normal flight pose you know left arm out right arm you know or right leg you know kicked back they they do little uh things like this to show a little bit of movement here but it's, yeah. it's an interesting choice well that's it that there's a reason dan jorgens is is a lot of people's favorite superman artist is he really did some great things with superman flying specifically and i'll go so far as to say it's my favorite panel of the whole book and it's not a big one but the bottom right panel of page nine that is an amazing shot of superman flying with his two hands kind of stretched out yeah um and just you know it's just a really really good shot and even the one at the bottom left where Superman's holding him and his cape's way up in the air, that would make a great statue. Maybe not holding someone, but just Superman with his arms out, you know, with his cape that high. It's really, really great art. Uh, the things that they do with, uh, I mean, they do a lot with uh, Batman's cape here. Uh, well, uh, not here, but when they animate Batman's cape, but I really yeah. like it when they do it with Superman. You don't see it a whole lot, but when you get a lot of movement uh, in the cape, I think there's a, uh, a Jim Lee statue, I think for what, the man, uh, what is that called? Uh, Superman for all seasons or something like that, where uh, he's standing on top of the gargoyle and the cape is blowing up behind him. The cape is kind of twisted in among itself. Yeah, it's, it's basically it's called the Superman by Jim Lee statue. Okay. 
Um, yeah, it's the one. Yeah, they've done a Batman uh, sort of companion piece where they both look at each other. You know, one's Batman's cape's flowing, Superman's cape's flowing, and they've actually that, that statue is so popular. They've remade it so many times. Uh, you know, they've got a mini version, they've got a patina version. This is the Superman one, anyway. And they just re-released, uh, just uh, even a month ago, they re-released the sort of metallic mini version. That was the one that my one arrived with no nose. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it had no nose at all. But um, it looked like Voldemort. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful pose. And, and Tim Bruckner sculpted that one. It's just, it's a fantastic drawn by Jim Lee and a fantastic sculpt. So, yeah, I do love when they use the cape to denote motion or wind or even with Batman it's a really it's a great idea to have a cape that's why I'm a bit I'm in two minds of the new you know, new 52 Superman's going to be losing his cape potentially so I don't know yeah uh, he's uh, in the Future's End book he doesn't have one which um, you kind of find out spoilers for anybody that's uh, not current <laughs> on it I'm on issue 11 and I have to go up to 42 yet to read I'm so far behind uh, but uh, here we go. Spoilers. Shazam is playing the role of Superman is wearing the helmet, and he doesn't have a cape uh, there. I like that suit. Um, so I don't know if it's they're going to kind of do something like that to tie into Future's End a little bit. I don't know what they're going to do with Superman's uh, costume. I'm still, I still like the idea of you know Superman and Batman having capes. Yeah, I'm the same. It's, it's visually it's nice. However. I'm I'm all over the place with things like that because I'll say one thing I'll say yeah he needs a cape and then a second later I'll tell you that my favorite favorite Superman costume of all time is the Superman Beyond you know the black and white yeah um, black and white no cape the big white sort of uh, Superman shield with the the black inlay it's a beautiful suit and it to this day it's it's my most requested suit if I was ever to get a custom statue made it would be a Superman Beyond statue so um, yeah so I mean it does have its place I'm sure that when, when we see it I'll probably fall in love with it <laughs> the, new, the new 52 suit took me a couple of weeks to get used to it like the Man of Steel one yeah. but I'm, I'm a Superman fan before long I'll have 10 statues based on whatever the new 52 looks going to be or whatever they call it because it's not going to be new 52 anyway yeah I'll be kind of glad if it just kind of it just becomes DC Comics again. Yeah, you don't have to say what it is. Yeah, we can just continue to keep talking about this and forget this comic. No, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Um, we uh, see the uh, techno of vampire here, uh, kind of moving through. He's uh, got Lucy again, and uh, apparently uh, she's been bitten once already. And uh, the second bite's going to be the uh, fatal one for her. So everybody is trying to get to her. Um, we've seen Robin do this uh, previously in Joker uh, 2, or Robin 2, the Joker's Wild, rather, where uh, Tim has the ability to hack into a payphone uh, that can <laughs> get into a computer. This is like totally 1990s here, where, yeah. you know, in the 90s, you're like, oh, that's so cool to be able to do that. Now you kind of look at it in the uh, 2000s and go, I don't think it kind of works like that, that you could stretch it and go, all right, Tim could be smart enough to hack into another phone but tim is hacking into lucy's home security system to be able to detect any movement in the house and that's where i'm like okay and probably 92 i probably bought that but now in 2015 i'm not buying it as much <laughs> yeah i know i mean and the device he's using it with is hilarious it looks like one of those old-fashioned typewriters you know with a a phone it's like war games remember war games yes. used to plug the phone in and so it's a really period thing the other thing i want to bring up and this is i'll bring it up every time we go to one of these pages the language is so 90s yeah. like for example robin says yo check it out 
Um, and later on, and we'll get to it, but the, the words totally rad are mentioned, which completely <laughs> took me back to when I was younger. Yes. Um, but yes, I mean, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the language is, um, is really 90s, but I did think that computer hacking was hilarious. Where was Robin keeping that computer? Yeah, it's like the 66 Batman, you know, pulling out the uh, giant bullet shield from your utility belt that the bullet shield <laughs> is twice the size that you are. So, or e- even the bat cuffs were massive, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that's just the art of being a detective. Uh, Batman will tell you. I'll show you how deep these pockets are. I can almost <laughs> put the bat cycle in. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, oh, can we also mention that they've also in this scene actually got the, what is it called, the Olsen mobile? Yes. That blue crappy car. <laughs> and I love how much exhaust fumes are coming out as it drives away. Uh, well, I think they make a mention here uh in a little bit, um, you know, for, for, we'll go through this really quick. We have Superman coming in. I love the pose of oh, Superman yeah. in 12 where he's flying into the window. Um, that's, that's an icon. It, there's one iconic shot in this uh, issue. It's this one of Superman. That's something that you – I've seen on kids' lunchboxes when I was in school or you know the Trapper Keeper notebooks and that type of stuff. It looks like this would probably be a set of stickers I had as a kid. Yeah. I mean, that is obviously I collect the Man of Steel statue line where they basically take each artist and make a statue based on an iconic pose. And that is, I know I said the one on the other page is my favorite, but this one here, if you, you can just imagine a pole coming out his knee yeah. going down to the base right now, that was something I would absolutely buy. It's beautiful. And also, you can still see the influence on Superman from the whole John Byrne. Because when John Byrne, of course, took over Superman, he completely, I wouldn't say he completely redesigned him, but he just changed his look. The cape always tended to go over the shoulders, like in the bottom left panel. Right. The cape would come out from the neck and go right over the shoulders. So, I mean, uh, you can still see that influence in Jurgen's artwork. Is there a Jurgen's uh, statue? Uh, there is There isn't, as far as I'm aware, anyway. Um, and I, I have quite a few of them. Um but to be honest, I, I can't think of any specifically that are based on any, not anyone that DC Direct have done. There's probably a couple of customs out there. Um, the closest one to probably Jurgen's artwork, um, nah, I was going to say, I'm just looking around my room just now, but no, I don't think there is a specific based on the art of Dan Jurgen's. If anyone out there knows about one and I've maybe just made a mistake, then let Rob know. But um, I can't think of one. I'll probably think of one just after this podcast ends. Yeah. <laughs> Darn it, that was it. Um, we have Techno Vampire gathering in. Now his whole horde of um, vampires here are people that he is getting ready to convert, which you had mentioned earlier. There really wasn't anybody when Robin was getting all stabby happy, like, I really want to stake somebody uh, <laughs> coming up. So uh, Robin can have his whole uh, whole horde of people to stake in this issue. So they've all <laughs> must have been hanging out in the cemetery under that foggy mist that we couldn't tell the location uh, where Robin and Jimmy Olsen and uh, the techno vampire were fighting, so this is where they all are. Uh, yeah. We have this moment since uh, we have a little editorial uh, note here that since Jimmy's watch has been destroyed, Robin has an idea on how to get Superman to where they are. Um, and I've read this a couple different times. Uh, they're going to make a desperate sacrifice on Jimmy's car, and they're going to use it as a bomb. Uh, and Jimmy ends up saying, you know, oh, my car. Robin's like, you're the one who kept uh, complaining it's a bomb. Uh, Did he say that anywhere in this book? 
Uh, no, I never saw that at all. That must have been something that happened off scene because his car was only introduced from that hacking scene onwards. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the first appearance, so that must have just been a little in joke. I love the the fact that Robin said a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, <laughs> that was quite a funny line. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I thought it was hilarious as well. They could have killed 10 people with that car crash, but nope, they never killed anyone. I just, I, I thought it was a bit poor that you never really get a 100%, you know, confirmed idea of what the techno vampire's plan is. I know he said he wants to have an army, but surely the technology that he has, he's got the same kind of strength as Superman. Surely, you know, he doesn't need all these people to be his army. I, don't, I just, you never get an idea of what he's wanting to do. Does he want to take over the world? Does he want to infect the world that's never really said yeah uh, that's probably my only biggest criticism with the issue is there's there's no set point like this guy is going to do this thing that's going to cause this thing you just have a guy running around it's like i'm going around biting people and we're all going to hang out in the uh metropolis cemetery and then <laughs> we don't know what we're going to do after that point this is as far as our picnic plans have gotten for the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, it, there was no real focus of the episode. Now, it was kind of jumping around quite a lot, especially when Mistress Blaze was introduced. And then really, you know, there was the scene with, um, I've totally forgotten his name now, Foswell, you know, when yeah. Foswell was fallen. And then it's not really mentioned till the last panel. And um, so I did think it was kind of all over the place. Of course, you mentioned this before, but I did think it was hilarious that, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious, um, that with the... This is really typical with comic issues and TV serials, but as you said, what happens on the cover doesn't actually occur in the issue. You know, it's just a, an excuse to get you to open the pages and buy it from your store, basically. Superman actually getting bit, which doesn't happen. I, I mean, we get close here, but uh, probably as close as the teeth touching his neck. I think, yeah, that on 18 is where that actually occurs, but uh, where Superman's bleeding profusely from the neck, yeah, that, yeah. that's that's not happening. Uh, we have Superman coming in and saving uh, Jimmy and uh, I about so Jimmy and Clark, Jimmy and Tim here, uh, Robin uh, from the exploding car, and then the whole horde of uh, people that have been uh, either bitten or infected or probably more under the spell of. Um, the techno vampire here. Um, we have Lucy going after uh, Jimmy here. That uh, uh, apparently not only is Jimmy going to get a stake through the <laughs> through the shoulder, but he's probably going to get uh, two incisors right in the neck here if he's not uh, not careful. Um, <laughs> uh, then we have Superman being uh, overpowered uh, here by the techno vampire. That we're now kind of finding out that he's got uh, some magical uh, connection here. And again, reading. Uh, this back when it first came out, I was like, yeah, so what? Just punch him in the mouth. You know, I didn't realize the uh, magical effects uh, that uh, Superman was, uh, that he couldn't deal with. Yeah, very susceptible to it. Uh, the, the other visual thing that is really nice, and it's really subtle in these pages, it starts on 16. You'll see the, the picture of Kung Fu Jimmy kicking <laughs> Lucy. Um, but in the background, you'll see the um, the soldier, the statue, which obviously is going to be a, a kind of plot point in a couple of pages' time. But they, they first set up the statue holding the rifle with a bayonet in the background. Um, yeah, you know, I... just in the... I'm sorry. No, sorry. No, it's okay. And I was going to say, and they do the same on 17 in the bottom left panel. Yet again, it's subtly introduced. So, I mean, it's not coming out of the blue when that's actually used for something. And if you look at uh, 16 and uh, 17, uh, the soldier's head is obviously turning 
from where it is. Uh, he's kind of his body is turned away from uh, the action, uh, and yeah. then on seventeen, it's more like he's now fully turning at the waist. And I, like you said, it was a very uh, subtle thing that this is going to come in. Uh, to play here, and I've noticed that once uh, the car blows up, uh, Robin does not uh, let go of the stake at all. He has it in his hands <laughs> the entire time. I'm going to stab somebody if it's the last thing. <laughs> yeah, in fact, yeah, and on 16, he's got double stakes. He's got a stake in each hand. He was desperate to stab something. Well, and in the bottom of 17, uh, the stake is probably in his right hand, but if you look in his left boot, he's got a stake uh, tucked away in there. Like, if I drop this stake, I've got another one in my boot, so I probably have three. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to ask you this. Visually, I mean, I know that he's got the kind of ninja shoes, you know, with the split toe. I was wondering, is that a, a sort of regular thing artwork-wise, or is that just something Jurgens has taken liberties with? Um, I think for a time, uh, that is uh, was quite a bit going in through the 90s. Uh, Right around uh, the mid parts of the Robin uh, ongoing series, that kind of okay. went away. Um, it was depending on who was drawing it, the split toe would be there for a little bit and then it would go away. Uh, but it was uh, predominant in the uh, very first issue of Robin One. He's kind of like running off the top of Redbird, and you can see the split toe. Uh, on top of that. Ah, uh, okay. I was just curious. I, I wasn't sure because I've not really read many issues with his look. Yeah, I I thought that was always really pretty cool that he has that, you know, ninja esque ability from his training that he went to to go get and adopted that into his uh, costume. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we're moving in here through uh, eighteen, getting ready to wrap up the story. Um, Robin's ready to uh, be all stabby happy. He's waited <laughs> uh, seventeen pages here and kind of going under that uh, Batman. A rule of sometimes you have to do extreme things to get extreme results, and uh, uh, Lucy is going to bite uh, Superman, and uh, he's going to stake uh, Lucy, and uh, Jimmy uh, totally knocks Robin out of the way, so now we're left with uh, uh, Jimmy and Robin are down for the count. Uh, Superman's getting ready to be bit. Uh, who else could possibly save the day but Blaze? Uh, <laughs> did, did you did you see this coming at all? That I, I, uh, it's not. It's no hero in the book that is going to save or do anything. Yeah, exactly. It's funny when you get stories like this where the hero does nothing. It's just circumstance or coincidence that saves it. Um, and in this, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it, once you read the whole issue and you go back to this, it doesn't really make sense because what, what Blaze basically says, the reason is that if he gets bitten, he'll be undead and she'll never get his soul. But in a second's time... Blaze is going to do this magical light which cures every single person that was bitten by the vampire. So couldn't she just let Superman get bitten and do this bright light which would cure him, like he cured Lucy in like a page in a, or in a page's time? Yeah. Very strange. But uh, yeah, so it makes sense somehow, I'm guessing. But, uh, you know, the, the light appears and it's a big shoom. And even in the shoom, you can still see the soldier statue. Once again, they still include it at the bottom right of all the people standing there. Yeah. So it's always always sort of ever present there, but um, yeah, it's very strange that the, the villain saves the day again. <laughs> uh, I liked the um, uh, chromatic uh, coloring. It's just yellow, yellow and blacks uh, that are through this to show uh, this giant bright. Uh, I would say white light, but you know, yellow light that's blinding uh, everybody, and um, you know, even to the point where it's kind of blinding Superman that he really can't quite. 
see everything, which I thought, just use your x-ray vision. You know, you should be able to see through this. But then again, you know, we're dealing with, you know, magic. Um, and it looks like as you're going through the panels on 20 that the techno vampire is actually being burnt away by uh, this uh, this bright light. So I guess to add insult to injury, he is uh, being uh, burnt by the light and ends up falling down onto what? The bayonet of the soldier uh, statue, which I totally get is either probably uh, controlled by Blaze or Blaze has taken the form of this uh, soldier to uh, or the you know a statue as it were uh, to uh, impale her brother, which you know we're kind of uh, led to believe that's who that is until the reveal on twenty one here. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if she's meant to be controlling it so much as or dumb luck. A, yeah, dumb luck. A very a very convenient thing because once again. Depending on which writer you're going with, you know some some writers have no problems with Superman killing. Other ones always want to make it a a happy accident, you know. Where similar to Batman as well, you know, Batman won't kill you, but if you're hanging off the roof and he tries to grab you and misses, like the Joker or something, you know, in the movie, um, he didn't kill you. He tried to save you, you know. Um, Superman would never knowingly throw them. Um, oh, unless it's a taco dump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, you're getting cancer if you mess with toxic waste with Superman. <laughs> <laughs> but even even in page uh, what are we on page twenty and sorry, go back page nineteen. I beg your pardon. Bottom right is a really great Jurgen Jurgen shot of Superman flying there from a side pose, yes. uh, which I thought was really great. Um, but yeah, still, I mean, fantastic artwork all the way through. A couple of little glitches here and there, but for the most part, far, far superior in the second issue than the first. Uh, I think the uh, artwork is what really makes me like the issue. Uh, the story, I've always been torn between the person that's drawing and writing both at the same time. I think at some point, one of the two, or sometimes both, are going to suffer a little bit. Uh, Tony Daniels uh, was doing that in the New 52. He uh, wrote the first seven issues of Detective Comics, and the art started out really good, and the story was kind of flat. His story started getting a little bit better, and the art started getting uh, flat. I think Jurgens, Mm -hmm. I like Jurgens better when he's just the uh, penciler, and then somebody else is doing the story here. So I don't know if he was trying to do too much here, or if trying to do magic stuff with Superman is just, it makes the story that much harder. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes, as you said, when their focus is split between two things, sometimes both suffer. Thankfully, in this case, the art was okay, but I don't think Jurgens is is super well-known for his amazing writing capabilities. He's not down in the history of DC as one of the best. Right. Uh, But he is, certainly art-wise. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was an okay story. It was all over the place though when it comes to tone and um you know the two issues if you put them side by side are so different from each other you know um just as you said like the way superman acts in the first then this you know one issue is throwing them in toxic waste the next one he's telling tim that he can't hurt people they're just people you know he can't hurt them so um obviously i think jargon's just taking a much more classic superman stance with that you know this does seem like a far more classic superman and even visually like if you look at page 21 uh, the middle right panel is a great shot of tim and superman together they both look so iconic in that Mm -hmm. you know headshots um but yeah the whole mistress blaze i was never a big fan of that when i read this and of course i've not read the blaze satanus war which is where this this issue goes on to um 
but you know, and the fact that they just they introduced Foswell on the last page again, I'm sure he has a big a big plot and you know the pivotal part in the, the next part, but I don't think we're going to find out. No, at least not on this podcast. Sorry, folks. No. Uh, <laughs> My biggest disappointment, I should say biggest disappointment, because I, I enjoyed this for the most part. I don't think it's what I initially thought I was buying in 1992 to see, you know, a lighter, brighter hero for Tim to be with, that it's this crazy, you know, mystical journey type of, you know, war that's going on. But there's no resolve here for uh, Robin and Superman, the you know, thanks Tim for coming into Metropolis, and I really hope that's it. You know, this panel on twenty one, the last we see of Robin and Superman, and uh, even there's their uh, Tim's conversation here with Superman is kind of flat. I was kind of really wanting that you know big send off uh, for Tim as he's making his way back to uh, Gotham City, and that that just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. I mean, a good it would be a great just one last panel of the two of them shaking hands and yeah. you know, next time you're in Metropolis, look me up or something like that. You know, or vice versa. Next time you're in Gotham, you know, don't don't be afraid to say hello. Something like that to just acknowledge, especially as you said, since they're not really going to be in comics together. I think ever again in this incarnation, I don't think Tim or, or you know Superman before he dies anyway. Right. You know. Um, yeah. The, then the last uh, page here, which would be what twenty. 22 is uh, I'm blanking on his name uh, Foswell here Foswell. Uh, uh, you know kind of getting picked uh, up by uh, what looks like the police and uh, tell him that they have a, a job for him and uh, you see Babe here uh, that is kind of possessed looks like by Mistress Blaze apparently or actually maybe not Blaze but by uh, Blaze's actual brother that we find out that Blaze says I think back on twenty on twenty or twenty one rather yeah Satanus yeah or Satanus rather that this this can't be uh, you know her brother her brother's not that um, you know stupid basically to to do something like this yeah that's right I mean that uh, was a bit confusing to be honest because it was definitely alleged earlier on that it was that the techno vampire was her brother right and then uh, you know burp uh, and that sort of second last page does say I still can't believe that techno viper was your brother and then she says this puny little distraction was not my brother um, and then obviously that my brother wields a far more power and cunning than this sad specimen so I, it was a kind of mixed up there because she did mention it was her brother in the, in the, the start of this issue but either way, I mean, in the last issue, as you said, you see like uh, Babe or whoever it's meant to be, and you can see Satanus's face. Well, is it meant to be Satanus's face, or is it meant to be the Techno Vampire? I'm a bit lost with that. I, I'm I'm the same way. I, I want to say it was Satanus because it does give us the you know Satanus War down the bottom as being uh, the next uh, you know story that's going to be taking place in the uh, adventures of you know Superman 493. Um, so I don't know if that's what that's alluding to, so I, I did not know. Yeah, I'll have to look it up after this podcast, and I'll tell you on the Rogue Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a blast having you on here, Stu. Um, uh, this was something I was wanting to do, and I was really wanting these two issues to be really good. I thought, I can't believe I asked Stu to be on, and these issues were kind of like, nah. <laughs> you know, um, I know there's other... 
Uh, I do want to cross the podcast over into the Superman Batman comics. Uh, there are some uh, cool issues with uh, Tim and Supergirl, uh, Tim and Connor Kent, uh, and then Superman and Batman being in there as well. So uh, I'll probably have those coming up. And uh, probably goes without saying, even if it doesn't involve uh, Superman, it'd be kind of cool to, if you'd like to come back to Gotham City, I would love to have you on. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. I really enjoy this. I mean, it's uh, it's quite rare. I don't read as many comics as I should, and I really enjoyed going through the comics and taking notes and uh, essentially micro-analyzing each issue because I know a lot of people just read it and put it down and don't think about it, so it's good to go over it a couple of times. And So, I mean, I'm definitely up for that. It's been my absolute pleasure taking part. It's... Um, you know, we have to get together and do some commentaries on some episodes or something as well. Yeah, that that would actually be really pretty cool to to do something like that. Um, real quick before I let you go, uh, what is the latest uh, Batman versus Superman rumor? Where well, I think we're at rumor 193 that you've heard that you're just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe people are buying into this, or something that you have heard that you kind of thought eh, that might be kind of cool. Well, to be honest, um, there's, there's not really been much regarding the, the main character, Superman Batman. I did see an image yesterday, which was uh, an image of Jason Momoa and Henry Cavill. It looked like they were in a pub or something, and they'd been filmed together or taking a picture, which was quite interesting. Um, obviously, Jason Momoa being Aquaman. Right. Um, and Jason Momoa confirmed that he's not going to be blonde at all. So, he's, you know, it's not like he's going to have... I thought they were maybe put blonde streaks in his hair or yeah. something. But um, I suppose there's nothing that says he has to be blonde except for every other image of Aquaman <laughs> in the entire world. Right. You um, know, I'm looking at my Throne of Atlantis little mini figurine of Aquaman. He's very a, a white, blonde-haired boy here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with the cinematic universe. I mean, I think Momoa has even said uh, he's proud to bring uh, some diversity uh, into the movie, and I know people keep kind of complaining, like, "Oh, there's too many characters, you know, in this movie." And I'm like, "Do you not realize Star Wars is right around the corner? How many characters, new characters that we don't even know of, are going to be in a Star Wars <laughs> movie?" And you're complaining about Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern. You know, I don't think they're all going to have all this giant screen time. It'll probably be like, "Hey, there's the Flash. Hey, there's Cyborg." Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at um, it's like looking at the Avengers. If you were to say, oh my God, there's all these characters, Nick Fury's in it, and how long is Nick Fury actually in it for? Six minutes? Yeah. Six, seven minutes? So, I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind that if Aquaman does show up, it'll be very similar to kind of like the end of Justice League War, you know, where, you know, I, I know in that case it wasn't Aquaman, it was um, Ocean Master, but, um, you know, same sort of thing. All it would take is five minutes at the end credits for him to be there, and the same with Wonder Woman. The only things we've seen that might even remotely be to do with her, there's, she was filmed uh, walking out, getting out of a car and walking into a building like in a business suit, very kind of Diana Prince. Yeah. And there was some filming in Mexico where it looked like Themyscira. I don't know if you saw those images, yes. but it really looked like. I mean, it might not be Themyscira. It could be. It could be anywhere. You know, yeah. Superman could be saving somewhere in Rome. You know, but it had pillars, and um, I'd like to think it's Themyscira. But it, what it could be is one scene with Wonder Woman in Themyscira saying, "I'm going to the, you know, to the Earth world." or I'm going to to Metropolis and then a shot of her being in Metropolis you know she might only be in it for minutes so I'm not really bothered about all the characters um, one of the things that is interesting and this oh it's not really a spoiler because it's just a rumour I don't know but um, obviously Jimmy Olsen might have no legs in this I don't know if you'd heard that yeah. as well like he may have been a casualty of the uh, destruction of Metropolis which I think is as much as people have com- 
complained about like oh look at all this destruction that happened in the Man of Steel. I think we're gonna we're obviously gonna get some ramifications or Superman is gonna be having to deal with some of these ramifications of the destruction of Metropolis. So I don't think it's gonna be something that's gonna be overlooked and what a unique plot point that could be that, you know, Jimmy Olsen doesn't have any legs. Yeah, I mean I totally agree. I mean it's it really shows Superman there's consequences to his actions you know like if he's at work and he looks down you can imagine that kind of three or four second look at Jimmy's legs and Jimmy's always usually upbeat and he doesn't care and he likes Superman but Superman's guilty one of the things I'm going to kind of put out there one of the things I think is going to happen is obviously when Man of Steel started started on Krypton then suddenly it flashed forward to the boat, you know, and of course he was in the boat and he saved the oil rig. I think the exact same thing is going to happen in this. I think the movie's going to start, and it's going to start maybe with Michael Shannon as General Zod. You know, like, imagine the, the Warner Brothers logo appears, and in the background you hear General Zod saying, like, I'm going to kill them, Cal. I'm going to kill all of them. And then you see them flying up, and then it cuts back to Ben Affleck's perspective, because we know that Ben Affleck has filmed a lot of kind of scenes of him in Metropolis at the time when it's all going down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be from his perspective. So he's going to be like, you know, there's rocks falling, he saves a girl. Then you see Superman and Zod flying over the screen and something else happens. And then end of the scene, you know, Superman flies away and Ben Affleck's there holding like a little girl and he looks up, you know, looking really angry. So he hates Superman. That's how I'm I'm thinking it's going to start. So Ben Affleck hates Superman. He, he thinks he's a bad, he's a menace, essentially. And that's going to be the whole crux of the, the verses part of things. And of course, during the movie, Superman's going to change his mind. You know, he's going to show him that he's not a villain and he is there to help. Uh, and I think that would play into uh, Bruce wanting to help Lex rebuild Metropolis. I, th- I would think that that's probably a direction they may take the Lex Luthor character. I could see why Bruce Wayne would be wanting to help fund the building, the rebuilding of Metropolis because of this red-caped, you know, quote-unquote menace. So I always like that when... You know, Superman and Batman, they trust each other about as far as Superman could throw Batman, you know, <laughs> you know, as it were, that if Batman just has this wall of, you know, I don't necessarily trust you. I'll, I'll work with you, but uh, I think it'll be cool to start this universe off with a Batman that is seasoned. You know, he's had his time and adventures in uh, Gotham City, and he may be kind of at the end I mean, maybe at the end of what he thinks you know he's doing because it sounds like there could be these drones that are taking care of a city and uh, this could be the thing that brings Batman quote unquote out of retirement as it were so I'm I'm very curious to see how this is uh, all going to plan out or pan out and I'm just kind of looking at the calendar going at some point between and now and December uh, when Star Wars drops in that time frame, there's going to be a proper channel, or channel, uh, uh, commercial, or whatever the pro- yeah. <laughs> trailer, rather. Can't you think of my words? Uh, that, you know, when one finally drops, rather than seeing constant blurbs online like, oh, the Superman, uh, Batman versus Superman trailer is right around the corner any day now. I think we've heard that for the last three and a half months. Yeah, it was going to be attached to The Hobbit. Now it's Jupiter Ascending. People are even saying it's going to have a Super Bowl spot. Um, I mean, the thing is, I don't know if you were aware of this. You know, the first trailer, you, obviously, I think we all saw a, a poor version of it on YouTube. You know, the uh, Comic-Con right. trailer. Um, it was totally CGI. Totally CGI. So Henry Cavill wasn't real. Ben Affleck wasn't real. It was now, totally. It was I did CG. not know that. 
Yeah, it was CG versions of both of them, uh, which makes sense because really they were still starting, you know, footage when uh, Comic-Con started. They'd only been filming. So, I mean, essentially they have the CG model for Cavill, which looks just like him. Uh, They have then Batman, of course, you know, he was in his armour. So, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they did not build that armour. Just like General Zod's armour, that was totally CG and it looked perfect. Yeah. You know, uh, so, I mean, they're never going to build that full... Um, battle armor. They're just going to CG on top of him. So yeah, they basically that's an easy thing they could do. Just do a CG trailer. So this is the first trailer we're going to get. Where, and I cannot wait. I'm just curious how they're going to tone it because I know it's going to be a Snyder trailer, and sometimes has a really, you know, a second of action, then it cuts. A millisecond of action, then it cuts. Right. I just want to see a great shot of Batman in his in his grey and black costume. A great shot of Superman flying by the camera. And what I don't want is a shot where Superman looks like the bad guy, like the first trailer, you know, with the heat vision eyes. Because right. what could possibly, what could possibly make Superman fly next to a building enough heat vision eyes versus Batman? Because I understand Batman hates Superman, but why would Superman hate Batman so much to fight him like that? He's just a man. Yeah. So I don't know, but it's, I can't wait. That's the great thing about these movies is you're speculating because you really care. You really want it to be amazing. Is Robin going to be in it? You know, is Batgirl going to be in it for a second? You just don't know. And they've they've got the sky is the limit. They could do whatever they want with this movie. And to know that when did uh, Man of Steel come out? Was that 2010 or nine? No. And no, no, it was after that. It was um, no, it wasn't 2012. It came out. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. Or eleven. <laughs> I'm questioning myself now. I have to check that. The, the DVD is just out of my reach. I'd have to take off my headphones to go <laughs> to go grab no, it. But no, it's, I'll take a look. it's it's far it, it's far enough away that you kind of go, you know. I, I've watched Man of Steel enough to you know know it, but it, it's not like okay, you know, the Avengers w- was just you know a, a summer ago. Now we're coming into Avengers two, so y- you've got you don't have as long as a gap as opposed to years of a gap between uh, the two films. So uh, I think that's why the anticipation for this, I'm not taking anything away from the star Wars fans out there. Cause I am a big star Wars fan. Yeah, me too. My anticipation for Batman versus Superman is still higher than uh, star Wars. As much as I want to see star Wars and I will be first in line to go see it. If somebody said, Rob, you have to pick one of these two movies. I'm going to go to Batman versus Superman. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, by the way, I looked up, it was actually 2013, you know, it was actually, it was only, okay. yeah, it was only two years ago, uh, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, don't get me wrong. As much as I'm, a, I'm always kind of known for being a big Superman fan. I'm a massive fan of Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who and yeah. uh, Marvel. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Marvel movies, and you know, I'm quite knowledgeable about Marvel. So I mean, I, I never really play favourites when it comes to that. I mean, I like everything. I'm not really a, a DC or a Marvel. I'll always, I'll always be a Superman fan. So I'm always going to skew towards DC, and I know more about DC. But I like everything. You know, it's uh, I don't really play favourites with stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, when there is a new Star Wars movie like you, I'll be first in line to go and see it because Star Wars, you know, Luke Skywalker's going to be in a Star Wars movie again. I mean, the last time I saw that, I was three, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember coming out of the movie theatre in 83 uh, when Return of the Jedi was over and going, that's it, they're done, you know, that I'm never going to see another Star Wars movie. Then, you, of course, we get the prequels and... I- I know there's a whole bunch of fans that you know dish on the prequels. I I still enjoy them. I still watch them. I still enjoy them for what they are. But even then, still thinking I'm never going to see Luke Skywalker. I'm never going to see Han Solo or the Millennium Falcon ever again. 
and uh, I, I feel like that seven or eight year old kid going, you know, it's I'm like Kevin Smith said once on one of his podcasts, it's like going back home. So yeah, um, I, I'm with you too. I'm a fan of anything if it's if it flies, if it shoots, if it transforms into something, if it's in my childhood <laughs> wheelhouse, uh, I'll go see it a uh, hundred times over. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, as I said, for Star Wars, it's. I think it's in safe hands with J.J. Abrams because I know that he kind of turned the Star Trek franchise more into Star Wars, you know, with the kind of the movie making. So as long as there's no lens flare, yeah. uh, I, and there was none. That was the great thing. There was not a single drop of lens flare in the whole trailer, which really made me optimistic because mm-hmm. I had visions of lightsabers turning on and the lens flare being there. And yeah. but I can tell, I, I know, I can just tell he knows that that's kind of. I think he knows that people make fun of him for that, and he respects the, the franchise too much. And and I I don't doubt Star Wars is going to come back in a big way. I mean, obviously you've got the Black series, but I, I don't know if you know this, but Eagle Moss, of course, who you know for the figurines, yep. uh, I think it's Eagle Moss have just released a, a new co- uh, comic set or a new magazine set, and it's the Millennium Falcon. Have you seen this at all? No. It is amazing. Actually, I don't know if it is Eagle Moss, but basically, you can build a Millennium Falcon, and it is like a hundred issues. The thing, Rob, is massive. It's like the size of a, a like a five foot person laying on their end, laying Are on you their serious? side. You can build the cockpit. They've even got the chest set with the little chest pieces on it. It's going to take. I think somebody worked it out. It's going to cost like fifteen hundred bucks to build it by adding up all the issues. But it is, I'll send you pictures after the podcast. Oh, it definitely. is massive. Can you imagine when you were younger, if somebody said you could build a falcon that size? It would be in scale, like the old figures a bit. Jeez. I mean, so, um, I have one of the Millennium Falcon, uh, you know, I'm going to call it action figure, more of a play set. Not, you know, that thing's massive. I remember going yeah. to Toys R Us buying Star Wars figures in the prequel or the... Uh, not the prequels, but the re-releases were coming out. The Toys R Us had this giant mammoth, four and a half foot Millennium Falcon that they were auctioning off, and you could put all your action figures in there. It was huge. I must have filled out two hundred of these slips. Again, so did every other kid that walked into Toys R Us. But uh, this thing is huge. And on uh, AMC's Comic Book Man, uh, somebody brought it into uh, the comic shop there for the Comic Book Man to look at. So that's the first I'd seen that since, you know, 1998 or something like that. Oh, wow. No, it's, it's, it really is impressive. I mean, it's, um, I think I, I kind of exaggerated the size, to be honest, but it's, it's, the, it's the same size as the filming model. And, you know, they, they build those things big for all oh, yeah. the details. So I think it's like about 80 centimetres long, uh, or maybe it's a 90. I'll, I'll take a look, but, I mean, I'll send you images. But you can build the chest set. It's got the seat on the inside, the top lifts off. There's actually been some news stories in the UK where parents have actually but every other one goes to eight ninety nine afterwards, and the total cost is £900. That's $1,400 to build this thing. Now, I know that a lot of people, it's like the Eagle Moss figurines, you know, buying them once a week doesn't really, it's not much, you know, it's like 10 15 bucks, yeah. you know, once every couple of weeks. But it is ludicrously expensive if you imagine the whole cost. Um but yeah, so anyway, it's it's just one of those little things. But yeah, Star Wars is going to come back. The figures, play sets. I'm hoping the Star Wars Black series is going to start getting some full-sized vehicles as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we've come to the end of the podcast, Stu. It has been uh, an absolute blast uh, to have you on. Again, uh, it goes without saying. I uh, would love to have you back on uh, whenever it can uh, work into your schedule. And uh, it's uh, very cool to know you, sir, and I hope uh, one day to actually get to meet you in person. 
Oh, me too. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure taking part in that. We will definitely do other episodes, whether it's commentaries or other magazines, and it's a, it's a pleasure to know you too. Uh, a commentary would be pretty cool. We may have to uh, do something like that uh, coming up. I did one uh, for uh, the Christmas episode um, uh, for uh, uh, the Batman animated series. So, and I had said in that that it's kind of hard to do a commentary track by yourself because I just <laughs> I just found myself just watching the episode and going, oh, I should say something. Oh yeah, well, there's poison ivy. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have someone to play against and to mention stuff and react to. So yeah, I'm totally up for that. Whether it's a movie or an episode or whatever you want to do, I'm happy with. Cool, right on. Uh, real quick, uh, tell the uh, listeners where they can find you if they want to watch uh, any of your uh, wonderful, wonderful Superman collection. Ah, thank you very much. Uh, I've basically I've got a YouTube channel. It's pretty simple. Just go to www.youtube.com forward slash Stu Murray forty seven. It's S T E W. Um, and then my Facebook is the exact same. It's facebook.com forward slash Stu Murray forty seven. So, um, pretty much all Superman stuff. But I do sometimes dabble in very occasional other stuff. Cool. Uh, thank you, my friend, for being on. Uh, next uh, episode in a couple weeks, uh, we will have uh, Terrence back on again, and uh, he's kind of eager to uh, join Robin. Everyone loves the Drake again. So we'll see everybody in a couple weeks. Again, uh, thanks, Stu, for being on, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, one zero M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Take care.